if you're going to go and, you know, then change the narrative for other people and educate people and be stronger together, which is the whole two's a duo thing, isn't it? Like you say, two heads are better than one yes. and all of that. If you're going to do that together, then that's magic. In that moment, you saw that woman who knew where he was that took you to him and you had that conversation that changed the course of the future. To me, it's nuts. It's nuts, yeah. Like those moments, we just take them for granted. We don't actually go, hang on, WTF? Sorry to be <laughs> cheeseball. But that is pretty phenomenal, that moment there. And I say to people, never ignore the moments. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Hi, I'm Eleanor Crystal, and this is The New Mind. Today's guests are Carl Scott and Carla Loft, formerly known as Tuza Duo. Um, as you know, this is a storytelling podcast. I'm just going to say a few key phrases and words here, and that gives you a little bit of an insight into the subject matters that we will be covering today. Before I say those words, I want to say stay with it today. This is going to be mind-blowing. The work that they do is astonishing, number one, but their stories are equally as um, amazing, actually. So I'm going to say those key phrases now. We're going to go for uh, knife crime domestic violence, gang life. We're going to go for crime. We're going to go for childhood adversity, mental health. And that's just to name a few. So I'm going to introduce them now. Hello. I am. We've been laughing so much already. Oh, <laughs> so I'm exhausted. <laughs> Sorry. And he's exhausted as well because he's had Sorry, no yeah. sleep. I'm, I'm in the room though. I'm ready. He's in the room. Whether he stays in the room yeah. <laughs> remains to be <laughs> seen. <laughs> he's had three hours sleep because he's been doing, like, picking up children and doing things and getting stuck in traffic and all sorts, haven't you? Don't drive to London at yeah. 10 o'clock at night. It's a crazy <laughs> thing to do, isn't it? And but, get stuck at a traffic yeah. light for 38 minutes. Things you do for your kids. I know. So he's exhausted, <laughs> bless him. It's a hard him. life, ain't it? <laughs> it is a hard life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I was asleep, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. She's had her beauty sleep, so oh, she's yeah, fine. As you can tell. Because you look beautiful. I did offer to go, didn't I? She wakes up like that. Oh, thanks, babe. Well, she doesn't because she does it in the car. She's shown us all. <laughs> Damn, you Instagram. You <laughs> I did see that and laughed, especially when you said he's ironed his little T-shirt. Oh, oh yeah. It's all hung has. up in the back, though. Yeah, still no one's allowed out. in the back. No one's allowed to touch it. It gets <laughs> hung up and, yeah. It's day. safe. Didn't iron There's mine, some... though, did you? Well, it's not much to iron, to no. be fair. <laughs> I always say, I'll just get in it and stretch it, and then it'll be all right. Get the creases out. No iron required. No. Now, obviously, we're not here to talk about ironing, but it's nice to mention it, just so everyone knows yeah. you do a little bit of housekeeping as well as everything oh, else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I know you because of Instagram, and I've seen a lot of the work that you do, and 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 we had a conversation about you know why you would be on this this podcast and there's some stories that i think are quite um painful stories but it it does inform people as to why you're so good at what you do and and what the journey is that, that's ahead of you as well so i'm going to go to you first carl mm. um <clears throat> i know that uh you've kind of been getting involved for many many years in in knife crime and and educating on that and all of that stuff um 
So if we start there and then you can start to weave the stories in and just just go with the flow because I know there's going to be moments where you're probably going to need to talk over each other and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it's it's all the time. Yeah, she talks over me. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just go with that first, that okay. intro into sort of the professional element of what you've been doing and then we can go backwards from there if you like. Yes. Yeah, so what you've got your project Youth Together, haven't you? Yes. But that's you've been working in this space for a long time. So just explain briefly what you do. So basically, this all come about 2018. Mm. Um, I was working in a drug and alcohol service um, as a support worker. Mm -hmm. And there was a a police lady called Nikki that was looking for ex-gang members to go around schools doing talks via like the Safer Communities team and help with workshops around subjects like county lines, gangs, exploitation, etc. Which obviously involved the knife crime side of it. And I'd never really covered so much around my personal experience with knife crime. It was never really discussed to be fair. Um, and, and I wasn't really involved in that line of work with young people at that time to be talking about it. Yeah. So there was not really a point of the subject. Um, so following that, I was you know, I was doing one-to-ones with kids in the police station, following a hard day's graft within drug and alcohol. So I, I wasn't getting home sometimes till like 10 o'clock at night. Well, night. Oh, it was lovely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be serious. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and truthful. Yeah. I know. But... Um, but yeah, so that that's how that that started. So you know, the workshops was going really well within the school. I was you know making a bit of a name for myself whilst I was doing that and making an impact on certain said police officers that was there at the time as well. And um, a, an opportunity came up for a early intervention youth coach with a new project that was set up via the uh, the Sussex Police Crime Commissioner's Office through some funding through the uh, Serious Violence Strategy with the home office so the credentials come out for that role yeah and obviously I looked at that and I'm like wow like that is not me I had no experience with that so I basically instantly put a negative on it straight away I can't do this this like the, the wages was big yeah probably that would have been like my third ever job in my life wow um but you talked me into it yeah. Um, and I, I went for it. My, my my manager at the time, Alison, brilliant. She's, she's always helped me with applications and stuff because I was never really that um, hands-on when it came to filling out things properly. Yeah. How did you used to type on the computer, babe? <laughs> Someone else was saying this to me last night. That's the yeah. worst I've ever done. It'd take me an hour to write that. Like, it, was, it was a nightmare, like, yeah. So, like, Ali, bless her. She's, she's taught me quite a lot. So, you know, she's she's been really good to me. So... I managed to get an interview through the application. Thank you, Ali. And um, yeah, and then, you know, and obviously Carla backed me up as well because we had um, we had to do like a, a um, what would you call it? I wouldn't say like role play, but I had to talk about uh, an, a situation. Yeah. So I'd have to, I had to explain that situation in my interview. Um, and me and Carla were sat in a calf. Um, in the morning before the interview, eating a bacon sandwich, and she's trying to get me to go through <laughs> it was this. Like teaching him lines, yeah. Wasn't it? Just, I was like, right, what's the next bit? And then he'd just look at me and he was like, oh, complete oh, mind block, gone. Yeah. And I was panicking. And by now, I've got like an interview in 20 minutes' time, and I know I've got to do this in front of five people, yeah. So I was like, oh my God, like, how am I going to do this? But you know, I went in the interview and it just come from nowhere, and I was just like, <laughs> it it's was amazing, just all com- isn't yeah, it? it was all coming out, yeah. so. 
uh, they didn't give me the job the first time round. They was a little bit unsure because obviously my history and you know my criminal record history, etc., which is understandable. Um, but also my employment history as well. I didn't have any. Yeah. So they wanted a second interview. So I went to the second interview with their manager and probably answered all five questions with one reply with one question that was asked of me and I got the job within 10 minutes. So amazing. So that's how it started. So, and I did that for like two and a half years, didn't I? Yeah. And I worked throughout the whole of COVID, you know, supporting kids through like the worst times that we've had. Of course, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, happened, I got on the TV for it and, you know, I was quite recognized, nominated for youth awards and stuff. And Incredible. Yeah. And that's, that's, and I loved that job. That, that was, that, I'd found the niche, didn't I? Yeah. That, that was, was me. The one, wasn't it? That was for me. And drug and alcohol, and youth work that's my that's so my how were you in the drug and alcohol sector so i've had issues with drugs all my life yeah so i'd say i mean i would say all my life yeah i mean the first time i'd ever tried drugs i was nine that wow. was cannabis um alcohol was about nine didn't have an issue i wasn't you know continually using it every day at that age um it was just in set circumstances which i'll talk about in a bit but um but my my drug problem started around about just about 16 mm. years old when I'd moved into a hostel so and what was the drug her heroin, heroin and crack cocaine but right. it wasn't so much around the cracks so much that started to slip in throughout the times so heroin was the, the main one for me at that age yeah. so I'd struggled with that for years years and years and years and to be fair I say struggled with it I didn't even want to stop taking it because I didn't think about anything anymore yes do you know what I mean yeah it was a blocker yeah Escapism. big time yeah everything had gone completely the only time it had ever come back is I was going through cold turkey so yeah then I'd have to take more yeah so um so that's where it, it it's kind of got me involved with the drug and alcohol and you know I, I knew everything about it yeah, you know, I got personal feelings as well as what other people could be feeling, and I know each person's different to the next. Yeah, but we're all still battling the same thing. Of course. So that's what got me involved in that line of work. Which again, we'll talk about how I got involved in that as well. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, following on uh, back back off the the project, lost the funding for the reboot, and I went back into drug and alcohol. Then I worked in a school. Ran a behaviour unit in there. Wow. For, what, nine months, was it? About nine months. Secondary right? school. Yeah. yeah. Which I never thought I would do because of my criminal record. Never thought in a million years I'd get in a school. But I See, got already it. I'm just like, oh, it's so it's so brilliant to hear this. Yeah. Because there's so many kids out there that are just, like, pushed away straight away. Or you'll be no good. And no one focuses on them because they're showing signs of difficult behaviour or yeah. whatever. And here you are, gone through... And I know we haven't even scratched the surface yet, gone through what you've gone through and you're now doing that. I just love it. It was, it was something that I'd, it, it was really rewarding. Mm. And you, you know, like you can have a job and you, you're actually excited to get up in the morning to go to work. Yeah, I and do that, know And that. I had that. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd had that, like being excited about going to work. And Who feels like that? We are lucky when we get to feel definitely. privileged and excited. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, and, but the, the, the only downfall to that, which, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm prone to find negatives and things. She'll tell you that. Oh, God. And, go. um, <laughs> <laughs> but this is a good, this, she'd agree with this one. Okay, but um, the only downfall to it is that I always had to answer to somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is tough. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, hence Project Youth. Yeah, that's how it was born. See, this is exactly why I went into self-employment as well, because yeah. I'm not good at being told what to do. And I don't know if that's a history of abuse thing. Yeah. But I'm not good at it. So I thought, right, 
you know, let's do this. It's, I don't think it was so much the fact of, you know, being told what to do. It was, was the fact it was restrictions of what I could and couldn't do. Yes, that's uh, the other issue, isn't it? Is the, yeah. Like you said earlier, actually, off camera, the red tape. There's too much of it, yeah. and, and I think that I think the most powerful parts of working with uh, with young people is the rawness of it. Yes, because when you're working with with young people, they want realism. They want they do. Real. They don't want the bullshit and the corporate no. rubbish. I do understand to to a certain uh, extremity of what you're supposed to say to young people, of course, because you can you can traumatize kids. Well, it's with... ethical boundaries. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not stupid. No. I know what to say and what not to say. I just don't want people telling me how to say it because yeah. I, I I know what to do. Yeah. Um. So therefore, that's what we did, and we we decided Project Youth that this is what is coming up. We've got to do this, like, and we take that risk as we were saying earlier. Yeah. You've got to take the risk, and I quit my job, and admittedly the first occasion first round it didn't work out at that point yeah. it wasn't ready yet that was about a year ago now, yeah wasn't it? so it was sat there on the back burner mm. weren't ready so i went back into drug and alcohol again and i managed to become senior support worker at that point and it, it just kept firing back at me or the, you know different interviews was coming in and I, I was doing knife crime at this point over a couple of years um but I'd I'd started um, visually putting this this hard work out uh, about two years ago. But I'd been doing it for, for a long time before that. So it, it's you know a lot of people that could see some of the stuff that we do, they think we've only just been started to do this, and it's not. That's you, you, yeah, you've been doing it a long. We've long been doing time. it a long time. Yeah, a very, even before a lot of people that I've met along the way, a very long time before that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, and Project Youth now, obviously, lucky for us, we've we've had the PR that we've had. Um, you know, we've been. But that's come to you, hasn't it? Mostly. Mostly, yeah. It's not like you've gone out and got no. PR, like because of what you do, you've attracted the PR. Yeah. Just want to make that clear, yeah, yeah, yeah. so people don't think you've paid for it. You've no, actually created nothing it. like that. Yeah, we've really got lucky, we've got the emails to prove it. You know, people yeah. contacting us for this stuff, and yeah. you know, and it's and that has been a massive benefit. And even a friend of mine, Jane, who runs another youth company called We Make Good Trouble from Brighton and she said your PR you've had is crazy for a project at such an early stage I mean I must admit I am impressed yeah so am I yeah <laughs> yeah I love that so, so am I, I. <laughs> yeah. no but seriously yeah I mean you know it's we've we've done some more graft with this haven't we oh good and yeah behind is... the scenes it's been going on for a long time hasn't it yeah and we've, like, like we said we set we originally set it off over a year ago and it just the website was there for a year and it just didn't really go anywhere and we just shut it down and then it was when you're well, we kind of was ready to give up weren't we and then when his drug and alcohol job come to an end it was actually coming to an end and he panics whenever any of his work seizes up he panics and so what the hell am I going to do now and I said why don't we just focus now seems like the right time why don't we just focus on the project wow. and put everything into the project you've got nothing to lose everything to gain and we reset the whole website back up didn't we yeah started and all again that was march and you're yeah. doing oh for people that kind of haven't followed you yet you're doing bleed boxes you're doing education through that you're doing sort of um it, the, it's, i know we want to talk about your stories more than anything because this is all on your social media if yeah. people want to look but just give an insight into what project youth actually does 
So Project Youth is a early intervention youth project. Mm-hmm. Um, we aim to work with young people from the ages of 10 to 18, but take priority over like 10 to 15. Yeah. Um, the project also is just about to launch uh, a new part to that project for 18 to 24s because that's a massive gap that's missing. And I've had a couple of meetings with probation over the last couple of weeks behind the scenes. That's ready to set go. I've already had two referrals for a 23 year old and a 24 year old even though my project's not ready yet amazing so it's there already they're so lining up. Uh, <laughs> they're lining, they're lining up. up already wow. and that was just from one meeting i was in for 30 minutes That's um so so yeah so basically we we've got one-to-one mentoring scheme through that um i have a walk in my shoes uh talk where i go out and personally uh do talks to professionals schools uh companies businesses uh, etc um and then we have a school workshop program where we cover six sessions of between you know bullying safer uses for social media uh drugs county lines exploitation grooming modern day slavery uh, knife crime and bleed control training um the, the reason for the bleed control training is obviously because we're doing the catastrophic bleed control cabinets in in east sussex mm. the first person to do it first people to do it in east sussex, in east sussex. Yeah. Um, unbelievable it, it's it's taken us a long time i've i've know people that obviously that have had this it off hit off the ground quickly yeah but they had a lot of contacts yes. and it was really difficult for me to get it off the ground in east sussex it like me and Carl was emailing people left right and center and getting nowhere we had boxes sat in our outhouse for like about six to nine months yeah there for, wow. no one wanted to touch it and no one wanted to touch no. it what because it doesn't happen here kind of attitude no it was more the fact that if we put a box up everyone's going to think it happens here and that we've got a knife crime pandemic oh. within that area so nobody wanted exactly so it was graft it was really hard serious hard graft but how these boxes came about so obviously these boxes have been produced and done throughout uh, another lady's loss of course you know good reasons to doing it well done she's done a great job yeah but they, I'd never heard of these boxes at all. And I hadn't until what no. I saw what you doing. And I filmed with a lady called Kelly in Manchester who sadly lost her son Romero. And she spoke about these boxes. She was putting them up in her area. She was putting she? them up in her area. She was just setting it up because um, uh, her son lost his life to knife crime. And it was quite a big story on, on ITN News at that point. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I went up and filmed her. We did a mass walk through Manchester with megaphones and stuff. And and she mentioned about the bleed control cabinets, and and that, and I took that away from Manchester by thinking that well, this is a great this is a great initiative. This needs to be done in our area, and that's how it came about. So now the bleed control cabinets are starting to hit off. Yeah. It all works by donations. It's so difficult to raise the money. They're not cheap. They're five hundred and fifty pound each. Which involves the kit inside the box as well. Yeah. Uh, one one uh, benefit that comes out of that for people if they like to donate is the logo of their business or company goes on the front of the box. Oh wow! To state Love proudly that. donated or sponsored by. So yeah. it's good publicity for the business yeah. as well that they're doing something to keep the community safe. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but it's getting that across. It's really difficult. As soon as you hear five fifty, <clears throat> shut the door. As it's, in 550 pounds? Yeah. People shut the door on 550 pounds? Yeah, a lot of people do. A lot. For something like that? Yeah, definitely. We will hopefully, we was looking into hopefully doing like some some fundraiser events and stuff like that. Yeah. We? We're going to do the marathon, well, the half marathon, the Hastings marathon, not the actual big one. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get it twisted. <laughs> I have to make sure that I'm... Do not yeah, get that twisted. I am not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but... um. 
but yeah, so you know, I've I've got two up at the moment. Luckily, the first one that I'd managed to get up, I've got. I had ITV Meridian, I had BBC, I had yeah. GB News, yeah, and then and it we. Ended up on Good Morning Britain. Well, yeah, it? because we decided, we, we we decided, we thought, well, what can we do to run alongside this? And what, what what better to do is to and there was a lot of questions around it. Who can use the box? Yeah. Do you have to what do you trained? do with it? Yeah. yeah. So we we then decided to do bleed control training with it. Yeah. So we got involved with a bloke called Dave. Dave, good man. He's a legend. He's, he's, he's got a company called AD Training, and he, he offered me his services for free. And because he did that, I said to him, going forward, mate, I'm going to make you money. So you stick oh, with wow. us, and and then that's that, that's what we're doing. So Amazing. we are now basically going to be training probation. So what happens with the boxes then? What what would you if if someone sees a box, what do they what do they do with it? Well, basically, if if they're in the same vicinity of someone having a severe injury, yeah, and there's a box at that location, they'll there's a number on the front of the box like nine nine nine. We would we had struggles as well to even have this box on a on a system through the NHS, which they should have been on a system because they are up north but they're not down here right um which i didn't find out until the box was installed which yeah. was too late yeah so uh dci yates uh, who i work in partnership with with some of the work that i do he's managed to get it onto the police's system instead oh great uh, which was four days of hot graft yeah so basically right. when you phone 999 and then you would say you're at the box and you've got someone with the bleed there'll be a system there should be a system in place so that they you know like with a defibrillator yeah there'll be something in place so that they'll be able to see that box is in that location this is the pin and they give it to the person on the phone got you it's a CAD system yeah, yeah. however that when we spoke to them about having this box registered and stuff, there was no CAD system in place. So for for, for a few days, the box was on the wall and we didn't sleep, did we? Because if no. anything had have happened, no one nobody get would have it. known. The, they, you would have rang 9 on. They, they just said, well, we don't know the code. You know, there's no system. And so we went through all talks and basically the NHS system, they said there isn't one and they're not going to put one in place. So we was going to take the box back down again, thinking, oh, my God, you know, we can't have this box up. And luckily, through the police, we've managed to get it on their CAD system. So when you wow. find 999, it yeah. will be on a system and they will be able to give you the code and you will be able to use the box. Wow. Which, which will now consist of, so we've got one in Hastings, we've yeah. got one in Bexhill, there's yeah. soon to be going to be one in Brighton, Worthing, because like, I've got two that's coming through. Sussex Police has funded £1,100 £1, £1, for two more. Yeah, wow. they've actually got involved now. They've in got involved in their funding too. So, wow. But now, following throughout the South East, all them codes are going to be on a police system. Wow. So, so they can be used and they can so stay they on can the wall. So they can be used, yeah. I mean, it's a shame that they're not just everywhere anyway. Yeah, Exactly. But at the end of the day, we're doing what we're doing. And we're, yeah. You know, there's only so much that we can do. And I think, you know, hopefully they don't even get used. Yeah, well, we that's what you... No, of course you don't want them to be used. So, but if they are used, they're there and they could potentially save someone's life. And they can life. be used for anything. They can be used for any any sort of incident that leads to a bleed. So yeah. it could be... It doesn't. It's not just knife crime it could be a car accident yeah it could be a freak accident where somebody's fallen and really hurt themselves yeah. it could be it could be an incident outside of school where you see kids that are crossing and they end up getting hit by cars yeah work work injuries of course. Yeah, no, freak work injury we so know much someone, scope yeah we know someone that had um, a forklift injury and that you know was a situation where they needed one of those kits to be used so yeah it's endless the amount of things that you could it's use just it i mean it's phenomenal that this is something that you're involved with but more than anything I'm kind of interested in why you two care so much because you know most people 
they they get upset when they hear something in the news and then they carry on with their lives and isn't it sad and that's it whereas you two are actually doing so much to change the landscape of not only knife crime but kind of any negative situation mm. what makes you two so different that you're actually going out there and making your life's work about all of this stuff oh I big think, question you know what i think that actually comes from probably some of the experiences that we've been through probably from a place where we've had certain you know things that we've been through and it often feels like you're so alone and there's yeah. nobody out there to help you and yeah it's just yeah that's a really hard question the i thing know is, sorry about that the <laughs> thing is when it comes to when it comes to the youth of today they, they've they've lost their voice yeah they have and they don't get listened to anymore no and like like we said before, you know, once once a young person's been tarnished with that bad paintbrush, that's they're going to take that with them forever. No, you're right. And, and there's there, there's no kind of like opening for change, mm. and no one wants to see that change, and they just concentrate on the negative. It's interesting and, because you know I think people assume that children have got a voice because of social media, but they're they're not actually using social media to talk you know to be saying i need help no. what we're saying is they haven't got a voice when it comes to the system mm -hmm. exactly and that that i'd wanted to just get that point across because i think a lot of people go oh they, they've got social media it's easier now it's not in fact i'd say it's harder it's harder yeah, yeah a lot harder so yeah the thing is you know i've been that young person yes and i've been that person that's been on the receiving end of a knife and um on the other side of knife yeah. and, you know i've been involved in that kind of life but why was i involved in it so i know why i was involved in it now like you know when you look forward and you go forward all them years compared to being the teenager that i were but there was so much behind the teenage years that put me into that position of so course that's the position that I'm aware of when I speak with these kids. Yeah. I know what the position is that they're in and I know how much peer pressure there is out there these days that, you know, you've got to be seen in this certain way yes. or you're not accepted. Yeah, you're right. So that's what's leading half of this stuff to happen. So being involved and sitting with these kids or talking to big schools about my experiences with what I've done within my life, a lot of kids get something out of that and they have which then leads it to be able to help the kids and they listen to you, Yeah. which then you can remove yourself away from the, the issues that they're actually facing. Yeah. But then at the same time you're doing that, you're also helping to try and build a positive relationship up with the adults that they had broken down relationships with. Yes. So now they're getting their voice back. Do you know what I mean? You are becoming the, I suppose the, and this sounds awful, but it's meant to sound really good, the sort of the puppeteer of the change. Yeah. You're now helping them to be able to, have those conversations you're able enabling them to i think articulate yeah. maybe through you actually at first but you're also saying let's fix the bigger problem let's not just have the talk let's actually do the work the thing when it knife crime in itself you're never going to cure it no ever no so, but prevention is, is, is what they say better than cure. Yeah, it is. Because you're still working with it and you're not just leaving it to grow and grow and grow and grow. You're still doing bits around it and you're still preventing it by each kid that you're working with. You are putting your personal experience into that young person for them to not make that decision. Well, or, that's pain for power, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, it's also about, I think what we've, what we've said before, it's also about the bigger picture as well. It's not just about the youth itself. It's about we know the effects that it has on everybody else it's mm. the communities it's the services it's the parents the families yeah. the, the cousins the brothers the friends so actually when 
with the project when you're tackling some of the problems with the youth you're actually tackling different areas that help a lot of other people so it's it's a knock-on effect exactly it's course it is and both of you two like you said there have had your own experiences that that have brought you to a place where you do understand the deeper issues and you do want to actually be part of that I guess generational growth you know let's look at the generational trauma and understand it but let's be part of the generational growth and I think that's what you're both doing through the understanding and the empathy that is lived understanding and empathy yeah and both of you have got a story and I know that's what kind of your relationship together is a story in itself as well isn't it (laughs) so like there's there's like that three-pronged thing going on here it's the separate stories and then the story together so let's look at you for a bit Carla we'll come back to you because we know there's a story there you sort of led us beautifully there Mm. but let's understand you a little bit more as well Carla and um you know what brings you to this point what brings me to this point well I think for, well, me and Carl have been together now for 10 years and along the way there's been so many ups and downs and I've I think from what, the minute that I met him it was kind of like I've always been a bit of a rescuer so not always as relationships that I've been in worked out so my first ever relationship ended up being pretty bad it ended up with quite a bit of domestic violence and I come away from that with quite a lot of trauma um, went into another relationship which ended up being really bad um, and during that relationship I ended up meeting Carl and then when I then met Carl things were good so our life was good together and I thought like this is it settle down and then probably about four years into that relationship things went completely downhill Carl had a lot of problems and my whole entire life just got flipped upside down and almost everything that I'd ever been through before didn't quite live up to how bad it actually was at that moment in time that was yeah. probably the worst and things were very very bad um the kids witnessed some stuff that you wouldn't want your children to witness uh, we had some social services involvement my mental health went right downhill um, there was a lot of times when I felt like I didn't even want to wake up in the morning and over that period of time um it was it was difficult very difficult And then I never thought that things would really get better. And then we kind of, things did get better. And then from that, we've then tried to work on our relationship and tried to enjoy life together. And then we've got to where we are now, where we've decided to do something together. So that's how we've got a nice project where... Because, I mean, it's fair to say that your mental health at that point was... Well, it it wasn't there at all, was it? There was no health involved with the sort of way that you were living. I was crazy. Yeah. Literally crazy. I think the thing where where I've had like the the drug issues that I've had um, in the past, because I, I had it in my head that because I wasn't taking the stuff that I originally had the problem with, then I'm cool. Yeah, of course. You sort of thought, all right, that bit's yeah, done. Don't worry about I the weren't. rest. Mm. So even though I wasn't taking that said drug, I was taking other stuff. Yeah. So I was always on something. So something that was mind-altering, I was taking. Yeah. Whether that would be you know, cannabis, whether it be cocaine, like, yeah. I was taking something. Yeah. Um, and then it just, it just got worse and worse and worse. But all along behind that i've got all the other stuff that i've tried to avoid but in all honesty i didn't know i was even trying to avoid it no this is the interesting so, thing because the brain is 
it's gone into that self-soothing behavior like the firefighting yeah. there's a flame somewhere i need to put that fire out the drugs the alcohol that works but that's not necessarily a conscious thing that's going on subconsciously mm -hmm. that firefighting self-soothing oh, wow. behavior you're not going oh you know abc happened to me so i'll do this and that will make me yeah. feel better it's a very unconscious process the brain is looking to stay alive and if it feels by putting out those flames that it makes you feel like you're not in the fight flight anymore mm. which is what you were saying about heroin then that's what it will do yeah it's maladaptive for sure but it does for the young person and that's usually where the addictions start it works. She knows everything about me. Yeah. She always has. And I think if anything, anybody else around me, she knew a lot more. Yeah. Because I didn't, like, we, we'd have conversations. We'd, we'd talk about it quite, I'd always be off me nut when I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, you would never catch me doing it, like, you know, sober, I used to say. Yeah. Um, because that would be a very uncomfortable moment for me. But um, it, it'd all have to be done under the influence. Yeah. Uh, which we're, most of the honesty would come out. But there'd be elements of, you, you know, when it's like, you know, I mean, Carla says this all the time. It's like when you're trying to force somebody to do something they don't want to do, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And where she wanted, what she wanted for me, she was trying her hardest to get that, but I just didn't want it. Yeah. Or I wasn't ready for that at that point. So that's where then my behavior started to get more erratic. Because, so her trying to rescue was yeah, triggering you. Yeah, yeah she would tell you. Oh, it was awful. This is what you talk about when you was on a heroin. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. So I, I always felt like for, for a period of time, I felt like I could get him off it. Yeah. And then I ended up putting myself right in the firing line, which is where a lot of, well, it's where the only other domestic incidents that have ever happened within our 10-year relationship ever happened. Yeah. During the times that I was trying to prevent him from getting it, trying to stop him from taking it. And yeah, there was a lot of bad... Stuff that we haven't really covered, have we? We haven't really gone into detail with it. No, but I don't remember half of it. I just, the only time I remember this stuff, well, I don't even remember, she just tells me. Yeah. And then what I'll try and do is bat it off. Yeah. No, I don't really like that. You don't want to know. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's not me. So yeah. it's, that was a different person. Yes, a different uh, version of Yeah, you. 100%. Yeah, because that's just not me. I don't behave like that. So having to hear it, I'm, I'm, I'm better with it. Yeah. Like obviously, because this is her thing. And like, it's, yeah. it's not, I can't just, it's unfair for me to, to, block, to, that. to block that out, which I had done for a long time. Mm. But it's not, we, we do kind of talk now a little, a little bit more. We still probably could do more mm. than what we do. But mm. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's getting there. Yeah. It's a, it, like I always say it's process because yeah. you, you'll do blocks of that talking, blocks of healing. It can't all go in like, oh, let's do six, like you were saying about the, the off camera earlier, when you're working with kids, you don't just have six weeks and it's sorted. Mm. It's blocks of healing and yeah. you go back and you, you have to sort of do it when you're ready as well because it can re-traumatize you as you're saying, yeah. which is definitely not what anyone wants. Well, it's the effect of like, I, I can't remember yeah. stuff. So yeah. for the trauma size of, for, for me, no, I wouldn't say it's more for her, but I, I can't, I, I just take a word for what's happened. You I, just feel I've the got shame. A, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause that's, that's well, like below the belt for that kind of stuff, you know, for males to behave and react like that towards a woman. It's just not, it's not, it's, it's not a, a clap hand scenario. And this is where it's, you're taking accountability. Yeah. You know, you clearly are taking accountability now, but you know, equally, like you say, it was a version of you that was unwell. You know, this isn't a version of you that just woke up in the morning and thought, right, I'm going to be an absolute pig today. Mm. You were unwell and you were dealing with your own traumas 
by blocking them and not even knowing that you were doing that. Yeah, but it's just that it's on the other side. It's just a shame that it, that had to happen. Yeah. And and it wasn't just obviously that, that my 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 kids as well. And it's, yeah. you know there, there was a whole there's a whole massive hit on that. Isn't oh, it, there? All, like, it even affects us to this day. So yeah. our children. The result of what happened, our children ended up going on a child protection plan. For, they was on it for three months. They was classed as at risk of emotional harm. Um, so, yeah, they ended up going on the on the register. Um, we managed to get them off it after three months. And, yeah, it still sticks with us to this day. There's still things that pop up now that have a... Because of because of them going on that register, they, it still comes back to haunt yeah. us in years down the line. Like recently the, with... Um, I was going to say this, yeah. you know, it Im- impacted the work that you're doing. I know it's a show that you've done on Channel 5 and you were doing... I won't say too much because I'm not sure if you can, but you were doing a show on Channel 5 and then on the day yeah, you were filming. The day, the day before. Day before. Yeah. So on the Saturday we were due to film for Channel 5. On the Friday I got a phone call from the casting director to say that um, it can't go ahead. The child licences, the child entertainment licences have been turned down. So basically, whenever you do any film, whenever any children are involved in any kind of filming, it has to be done with this specific protocol. So they have to get child licences from the council to make sure that there's going to be a, what's that person called? What was that lady called? Chaperone. Oh, chaperone, chaperone yeah. yeah. So there has to be like a chaperone. Oh, she was wicked to... as well. Yeah. Oh, she yeah, really good, yeah. So it has to all be done properly and they have to apply for these licences. And nine times out of ten, they never get turned down. But... Yeah, so we thought everything was all smooth day before, all excited, kids are all excited, they're coming tomorrow, everything's ready to go. And I get this phone call to say the child licenses have been turned down. And so I wasn't allowed to tell them why. So it had to come, I, I had to find out what the reason behind it was. So I phoned them up, couldn't get hold of anybody, they was in meetings, waited until they was out, finally got hold of someone at 11 o'clock and I was on the phone for six, no, five hours in the end trying oh to find God. out why on earth they'd been turned down, which they couldn't give me proper reasons for. And it's all linked into the fact that they must have typed the kids' names into a system and seen that once upon a time they'd been on these protection plans. Yeah. And so it's it's that stigma that sticks with you, even yes. though you know one of our children wasn't even born then, was no. she? She wasn't even alive. She's never been on a protection plan in her life. So even affecting a child that's you know, not yeah. And the so, fact is, is that as you said to me earlier, you would actually try to actively involved the, of social services, but they didn't listen. Yeah. So when things were really bad, was that, that was in the October, wasn't it? Yeah. So in the October time, this is when he'd been on the drugs for a while. There'd been a few, I'd phoned the police on a few occasions when his behavior had started to get a bit aggressive. And I tried to phone, I'd phoned the police to try to have him removed from the property before anything else would happen to, to reduce the risk, to stop my kids from having to witness anything, to stop any arguments from happening. I just wanted him to get out. And if he'd refused, then I would end up phoning the police, trying to put my foot down, really, and just say, I'm not going to put up with this. And they would come round and remove him from the property. But then on other occasions, they'd find him out. Like one occasion, a member of the public had phoned up the police because they thought he was dead outside a co-op on the floor at two o'clock in the middle of the winter, um, laid on the floor. And the police would pick him up and bring him back to my house, bearing in mind two days before I'd had police calls to get him removed. And all these police calls were going through to social services and they they were supposed to allocate a social worker to us but because of we wasn't classed as a priority because of the um there's not many in the funding cuts and stuff there, there wasn't enough social workers to go around so we missed out and it was during that time that over the next coming months that things got drastically worse wow. um to the point where there was a really bad incident which was the very final incident when he was removed from the family home 
the social services at that point tried to put me in a refuge. Wow. They tried to put me in a um, in a women's refuge. I wasn't allowed to stay in my house for two weeks. Had to be removed. I wasn't allowed back there until they'd completely done security and put up. I had to have alarms on all of the windows and doors. I had to have a fireproof safety letter box put through. Like it was really bad. Not that I had to set fire to the house. No, or no but they just but, do it as yeah. A but the thing is, when they did all this, I'd already gone. I, I yeah. was sorry. Was I wasn't there late, anymore. Too late, weren't it? So, and, and what they did was they, they tried to brainwash her into, you know, if you don't get all these things put in place and this uh, non-molestation orders and stuff, we'll take your kids. Like, wow. I had to go, yeah, at that point, so, I had to go to court myself. As if I wanted to, I actually crashed my car on the way to court. Um, oh, my God. On the way to um, a solicitor, not on the way to court. I ended up crashing my car on the way to a solicitor's. I had to go and get a child arrangements order, a non-molestation order, and a prohibited steps order. I had to get three orders out on him. Bearing in mind, I'd already put my foot down and said, enough's enough, get out of my house. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. He'd left and he went and we went and stayed in a crack house. I was in a crack house for three months, yeah. Three months. And then social services got involved, but it was too late. Too late. All the damage had been done. Yeah. I was already traumatised. The kids had seen what they'd seen and I'd asked for help back in October and didn't get it. So it's just... Yeah, there was so many flaws in the system, which obviously leads me to this. This is why I'm so passionate about the stuff that we do within our project. Because yeah. I know how difficult times have been, not only for myself, but my children. And, and the knock on effect, like you yeah. said earlier, yeah. when someone isn't well and they're not getting the help they need yep. and the systems are flawed, the parents, the partners, there's community, the services, everything is affected. Massively. The thing were, but even within that, like, you know, I, I did that that three months that I'd done. But whilst I was having to do this, there was obviously set things that you had to do with social services at the time. Mm. And there was, we, we had to do this thing, what was it, like a section, section seven report, wasn't it? Yes, uh, section seven. Yeah, and in that report, that obviously looks at all my history. Yeah. Which even stuff from my teenage years, they tried to use against me for my adult life. Which, wow. Which I didn't see how that fit. It and didn't also, make sense. because from a point of view of clinical, sorry to put in there, but if you're going to look at a teenager, their brain isn't developed. I said this to you earlier. Your brain mm. isn't developed till you're 21 to 25. Yeah. So what we do in our teenage years, it doesn't mean that we're not responsible because obviously we have some complex thinking. Yeah. But the prefrontal cortex, which does logic, decision-making, analysis, yeah. emotional regulation, it's not fully developed until you're 21, so. 25. So to use your teenage years against you when you're an adult is just ridiculous. It was it wasn't even relevant to the said incident. It was just it was fodder. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we I discussed um which I'll talk about later was uh, you know a, 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 some abuse that had happened to me as a kid. Yeah. And I told them who the person were and, you know, gone through to obviously childhood doing a bit of background. And then when the report had come back, they named the person wrong and named my different uncle family member. Oh, so my it God. wasn't that even the really one well. I actually got on well yeah. with and took me in as a child. And it, it was like, what? Like, so the information you gave to them, they didn't do their due diligence and they named the wrong person. Yeah. Really bad. But then... We, we had to have, we had one meeting originally. So the first child protection meeting that we went to, which they put things onto the walls of stuff that needs to be done and completed by the time you get to the next thing. And I was already starting to do this stuff anyway. Um, luckily, I had obviously Carla as my baby mum because, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say that all mums are the same, but there's some mums that wouldn't be as supportive out there mm. for that, you know, the partner that actually caused all this aggro yeah. in the first place. But yeah. luckily... She knew that wasn't me anyway. Like, but yeah. she she still backed me up, and she still knew that like that Carl was in there somewhere. Yeah. Um. And I I put myself forward for anger management, 
And I thought this needs to be done because I have got some issues and I've always been an angry person anyway um, throughout my life. And they used it against me for, go, for going for anger management, which was going to be paid for out of my own pocket. And they literally used that against me That's, for doing it. We had, uh, um, and there's a lot of social workers out there that are brilliant. Oh, yeah, I work with many of them. Of yeah, course, yeah, of course. Seriously. We must say yeah, that. Yeah, there really always good. are, it's yeah. just that we weren't so lucky. The one that we had wasn't, she wasn't very good. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it just wasn't good. I did actually end up putting in complaints against her and I found out my rights and I realised that I could actually have a, changed to a different one but during that time I do you remember the meeting I got with her manager I actually got a meeting and I went to the manager yeah. her management to complain and um, say that I wanted a different social worker and explain all the situations what had gone on and when I was in she was no better honestly when I went into the room the first minute that I sat in there she slammed her hands down on the table made me jump out of my skin and told me clearly I was a traumatized domestic violence victim Honestly. From slamming her hands on the table. Now, who wouldn't skin. jump? If I was to do that now without you realising, you'd also jump, Of course. You? <laughs> like, well, anyone would. It's the natural response exactly. in, in our system to... Yeah. Because they, this is why they did this, because they couldn't have anything on me anymore. Because I was clean. I was given negative samples. Change, they tried to change it to me. In the tried end, to change it onto her health. instead so they could still keep their involvement with our kids. But they, there was no longer needed to be involved. So, And this was our argument because I was now clean. I'd sorted myself out. Yeah. The judge had given me responsibility. Wow. So I basically stuck with what was decided at the original court case that yeah. I was going to do this by said date. Yeah. I did it. And th they wanted to get involved. They couldn't do anything more for me. And then they switched it to her and changed it to her mental health instead of me because they had nothing left. Well, that's for me. gaslighting. Exactly. And it's as if I hadn't already been for enough, I'm the mother of three children. I'm a single mother. They're of now three abusing children. you. That's what it, it, it felt like that. And I, this is why I'm, like I say, again, back to the project I'm so passionate about because I feel like not only did I not have anyone, but I've almost felt like my whole life was already bad enough. But then all yeah. this other additional stress from. Mm services that are supposed to be there to support you so we had a really bad experience with that yeah. didn't we and i think in some ways that that drove us back together in a sort of strong sort of way because, i get that yeah. yeah yeah oddly it ended up actually you know we're, we've we're now both fighting for our children on both sides of things but actually together so we ended up getting it where we both attended the court. We had all these restrictions in place because obviously there was a non-molestation order. So I couldn't be near him. He couldn't be near oh, me. Gosh, yeah. In the end, we went in separate. And I said to the judge, take it away. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's been he's been going down there voluntarily and producing drugs tests to prove that he's not taken any drugs. And he was doing that every couple of days. And not... I was also volunteering at a drug and alcohol service free of time every day from 8.30 till 4 every day. Which is where you know someone's really doing the work because yeah. you're. it's like that whole... 12 steps thing you know the sponsor the you know most without the 12 steps without the didn't even do it with that that's amazing because i know actually not everyone does um although that is a a good process each to their own, each yeah, to their own. Yeah. some people do do it without and can do it without mm. amazing yeah so i went to the judge and i said can you just remove it i don't feel that i don't feel like i don't need protecting like nothing's ever happened other than when he's been on these drugs he's not on these drugs anymore and he removed it Wow. against the social service they didn't want it they didn't like it the lady the social worker that we had she wasn't for it was she but once that then happened we was then allowed in the same room together so when it come to every Two where the children was one. on yeah exactly because the children were on the register it's three months before it gets reviewed and then they usually go back on it for another six months yeah it's not often that they come off but we got in the room together like showed everything that we'd done i'd gone off and seen i had some domestic violence intervention and we got into the room together and we managed to get them off. That off, just gone. is unbelievable. But there was a bit around that. So 
bearing in mind the social services whilst they're on CP plans, for example, they have uh, logistic. What do they call it? They, they have a plan in place where they have to see them. Like I think it's like every ten to fourteen days. Right. That's family and obviously said people that's involved. They didn't see us for sixty four. Yeah, so, so they didn't with, stick to their own protocols. So within that, obviously, we were still seeing other services outside of social services that were seeing as regular once a yeah, week, for example. Yeah, yeah. So they go around the room um, and they point you from zero being uh, really high risk to 10 being no risk whatsoever. So I was being pointed seven, eight, eight, nine, like all the way around the room. And it got to our social worker and she pointed me at two and a three. Oh, uh, my goodness. But she ain't seen me for 64 days. So that that's basically, I think, was the calling card for us to be off that that yeah. CP plan. Yeah, that and makes sense. She basically sense. dug her own grave for it. And then we yeah. even had um, so the S seven report that she'd filed that went through to the judge. Even the judge actually called for her to come and show herself to explain why she'd written what she'd written at S seven. S seven basically said that from everything that had gone on, um, it would be better if the kids don't see him again and that eventually they'd forget about him. When we've got all of this, I said to you earlier on the way up here, Should because we was going to talk about this, which is something we've never talked about before in podcasts, we was going to bring, I wish we'd have brought some of the stuff because we've got it all, we've got a big file that's got everything in there, wow. including the letters that I'd written complaining, just absolutely everything in there. Yeah. And the judge actually asked for the social worker to come and show herself and um, the manager ripped back saying that she was on annual leave that day um so she couldn't come in and due yes. to the low level of um social workers available there wouldn't be anyone to represent however if really needed to if anybody really needed to speak she would be willing to speak on the phone the manager this is the one that slammed didn't happen on the table so we went back to the court and the court gave him complete access back to his kids and there yeah. was nothing in place after that and, and the minute we was taken off the cp plan we never heard from him since and that was that. That was Chapter that. Chapter closed. Gone. Done and dusted. I mean, I know. I, I I said to you before, I don't want to know too much before we start because I want to have those jaw-dropping moments and that one is one there. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, that literally is just so, I mean, as we say, and I want to just reiterate, obviously there are great social workers. Yeah. I work with a few now I know, who I are know. brilliant and I wish they would have been my social yes. worker at that said time because yeah. they, they are really, really good. You could probably, let's say out of 10 social workers, you'll probably get two that are that's really good. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Not, not all of them and I don't want anyone to think that because they're there for, they're, they're a service and they're there and to they help and support. And they need it, they are needed. Yeah, definitely. I, I work closely with them now and yeah. I would never, I'd, I'd never you know, uh, tire them, like, like we're discussing with kids with bad behaviour, I'd never tire them all with the same No, you can't like, do that, but this is your story, yeah. and this really happened, yeah. and it will have happened to other people as well, and what I love about that story is that you are together stronger than ever, here telling the story, being completely authentic, completely truthful, and doing the work with communities mm -hmm. to change the narrative, yeah. and to actually, like I said, be part of generational growth. And if you're going to go through any pain in life, whatever that pain is, usually it's repeated pain, isn't it? Because yeah. generational trauma creates trauma upon trauma upon trauma. It's layers. But if you're going to go and, you know, then change the narrative for other people and educate people and be stronger together, which is the whole two the duo thing, isn't it? Like you say, two heads are better than one yes. and all of that. If you're going to do that together, then that's magic. It is. But I also, I would like to say, because I know that I know what some people would probably like to say is like, you know, if 
I wouldn't have done that. None of this would have happened in the first place. Yeah, but we so, we don't know why you did that yet, do we? No, exactly. But the thing is, like, you know, there is always reasons behind people's behaviours. And this is the thing. I, I didn't... I was very, I was under the influence. I didn't choose to be like that. And addiction, it, but I is did not choose to take the drug. Well, well, you it, know, it's a choice in the fact that you choose to put it in your mouth. Mm. But what I'm saying is, is what I said earlier, and this is my genuine belief, right, yeah. about any addiction, whether it be to a substance, to a behaviour, or whatever. It's someone trying to escape a reality. Yeah. You mentioned earlier you were abused, mm-hmm. right? So when a child is abused, they self-abandon first of all because they yeah. don't have the capacity to really analyse and be logical about what's going on and it's we know much more about the trauma to the brain and the trauma to the nervous system now and when you are abused as a child there is so much that you cannot express because you don't know how to there's so much that you cannot let go of because you don't know how to and there's so much physical pain and i mean that by you know the brain the way it adapts you stay in fight flight for anyone that's ever been there and i have been there to judge someone for escaping it especially a child who doesn't know how, how else to deal with it mm. when they haven't got the support to, to be able to deal with it. it is, that bit isn't a choice. That bit's not yeah. a choice. No, I know, I know. I, I, but it's just from just alongside with the whole, the whole scenario with social services, it, that, it was a result of my behaviour, yeah. which, you know, you have to basically take it on the chin with of everything that's thrown you at you. Do you know what I mean? Of course. So that, that's that's what I'm, what I'm meaning when I'm saying in, in, yeah. in that way. Yeah, it's obviously, I do take full responsibility for all of it, rather whether I, I, I remember any of it or not. Mm-hmm. It happened. The paperwork's there is living proof. She's living proof. Do you know what I mean? Although so, the circumstances leading up to that, it didn't just happen out of nowhere. So it's no. not like you were, and that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I yeah, get no, that no. it's a choice yeah. to, to do it but it isn't just a case of and, and so many people will label addicts as well they they, they choose to do it mm. it's, it's you just don't do it that that's a lot of people that don't understand addiction don't do it oh okay thanks yeah i didn't realize there was a choice that i didn't have to do it thanks so much mm. yeah. if it was that simple you never wanted to hurt people i'm no, pretty no, sure of it no, 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 like you no. say that version of you doesn't exist yeah. right now and you are completely this is who you are you know, as someone who isn't an addict, but there's a whole reason that that happened. Like I say, it's escapism, it's self-soothing, it's putting out the flames of pain, um, and it's doing it at a time when you haven't got the right support. So, yeah, tell us more about that, if you would, because I think it gives context to the behaviour that led to that whole situation. Um, Jesus, so okay. Well, I've so I've had a couple of traumatic things happen in my yeah. life. Knife crime, obviously, being one of them, which I said earlier, I've, yeah. I've been stabbed a couple of times, yeah. lost my friend, and and whatever. But that's been said on uh, many other podcasts already, so I don't need that, you know divulging into that information, you know. But it's like the more I, I think, the more traumatic stuff is, but it's just childhood based, mm-hmm. um, where. One of the main things that I think has bothered me for, for the most of my life is sexual abuse. Yeah. So it was something happened from when I was nine, um, with by an uncle um, that I was I was close with. To be honest with you, like it was it was I didn't see any wrong in in it originally. Yeah. Because it just I didn't know what was going on. So you're so young. You yeah. Just, you haven't got that I was, awareness. I was with him all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always with uncles and aunties or grandparents at the time because my parents was always out on the music scene. So we was mm-hmm. always with a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was my babysitter for quite a, lo- a long, a long time. So as well as my brother and sister. 
And it was one of them, like, you've got a family member where you're you're allowed to get away with things and, you know, that's the uncles or aunties that you'd like to go to because, you know, you can get away with it. Yeah. And he was, he was giving me cannabis. Mm-hmm. So I was smoking cannabis. And at that age, I was having the giggles and sitting there laughing for three hours. And, you know, it was hilarious. But nothing was happening at that point. Yeah, that's the grooming it was, part. It was slow, slow yeah. process. And... Uh, if I ever was supposed to be home by the time the street lights are on for, say, in the 90s when we used to have to be in for street lights. You yeah, know, I remember that. That was your time. You know I mean? yeah. Yeah. So uh, if I was late past that time, I knew I'd get a good idea when I go home. So do I go home for the good idea or do I run away from home? Mm. I'd run away from home and I'd go to my uncle's and I know he'd be at the pub around the corner because he used to love a drink. And I'd just climb, put the ladders out of his shed and climb up to his up through his uh, bedroom window and I'd be on the sofa downstairs by the time he got home. But my parents used to know where to find me. Mm. At this time, still, he hasn't done anything to me yet. And, um, yeah, so, uh, and then I'd be drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I'd be swiping his bit. I didn't like the taste of it. It was jank, but it was... <laughs> It was it was still alcohol. I was allowed to drink it. Quick, drink it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And have a bit of have a bit of weed as well because he used to grow it in his shed and he had a lot of homegrown stuff and that. And yeah, and and that's how it started. So the first first initial time that this happened, I, he'd got me stoned and he'd bought a pool table. Now this pool table, he had a spare room. He had three bedrooms in the house. His bedroom, one bedroom on the on the right of his bedroom, and the spare room was next door to his. And it was a big room. It's basically the size of ours, to be honest with you. And um, he had a pool table in there, and and that was brilliant. Fucking hell, he's got a pool table in there. That's fun. We'll go over there and crack around with the pool balls and stuff and have some fun. So um, we was playing pool, pissing around and that, smoking weed at the same time whilst we we're playing pool because I've been smoking it a bit now. So I weren't choking every time I took a poke of, of, yeah. of, of a split. You, well, you're, like I say, you conditioned yeah, now, aren't you? Yeah, I got used to it. So um, it it then started, he, he come up with an idea. Now, he'd just broken up with my auntie Luna, uh, which is my cousin's mum. And um, she'd taken my cousin to Newcastle or Durham, I think it were. Um, they'd gone up there and he'd lost the plot at this point. He was drinking and smoking like there was no tomorrow, getting in scraps in the pubs, coming back with black eyes and all this. And this one night, he decided it'd be a good idea to play strip pool. That was how it started. Right. And I can't, how am I going to win that? Like I'm nine. There was no way I was going to win anything no. on that. But no. on a couple of occasions, he'd allow me to win the game. So he'd have to take an item of clothing off it was still going to result in me being birthday suited in that room and he's still in something. Yeah. You know? But I was smashed, like literally under the influence. Like I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And for that was the thir- first night that it happened that night, forcibly. I didn't want it. So yeah. it, that was forcibly. So really he raped me on yes. that night. So yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's an awful thing to go through mm. because, you know, we're just saying about choice and behaviors a minute mm. ago and i'm saying to you well people use you know these things to escape you were groomed with drugs you know and that's that's your brain at the age of nine is is conditioned to that because it was part of the abuse yeah and then something awful and horrific happens and i'm sure that the drugs carried on being a part of what was essentially his way of yeah. getting to do what he wanted to do to you. Well, it was, it, you'd, you'd think that after that occasion that that would be, you know, that, that, that'll keep you away. Yeah. 
but there was so much more surrounding my childhood which kept me from saying anything yeah so i was i was a troublesome kid mm -hmm. i'd had other, other things that had happened to me before that traumatic you know my behavior was really erratic yeah um so i was known as that problem child mm -hmm. you know and you know i lied a lot so as i've said many times before boy, boy cries wolf you know you yeah. don't no one believes you yeah and he he used that so he he used that to manipulate me. No Nobody one will believe, will believe you yeah, anyway. Yeah. And and then I'd, I'd I'd always hear him saying that in the back of my head. Always always hear him say that. So there was no real way of even coming out with it. Or oh, how how would you even come out with it? Yeah. I'll just randomly drop it out at the dinner but table. People right? think it's easy. Why didn't you say anything? I mean, how the, the amount of, if I had a pound for every time someone said, "Why didn't you say anything?" I would be very wealthy. You can't, you physically feel like you can't say yeah. the words. I was scared. Of course. Like my uncle was a scary man. Yeah. So it's, you know, I've got, I had a few uncles and all of them were scary. They yeah. all could have a tear up. They, they was yeah. all very well known in my area. Yeah. Like they were scary, scary men. Like they could have a proper scrap. Yeah. And it, and it was, you know, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So I put up with that. Every time I went there, it happened from then yeah. on. And in the end, it wasn't even the fact of like, yeah, okay, I'll be being raped, but I wasn't literally being forcibly like held down kind of thing, if you know what I yeah. mean. Well, you, so you, you're, you're, just... you're conditioned again. Yeah. That word is so important here. You're conditioned to what's going to happen. It becomes yeah. the norm. And that's it. And it just continued from there. And yeah. it was just one of them, oh, here we go again kind yeah. of thing. And, yeah. um, and obviously my brother and sister were staying at the house a lot as well. And I could have gone to my grandparents yeah. and stayed at my grandparents because I did get on really well with them. And I stayed with my granddad quite a lot. I used to love being around my grand. Um, but, you know, there wasn't room for all of us. So it was either I'd go to my grands or go to my uncles or my brother and sister. Go, you know, so I just chose to be with them. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you were like, because I think a lot of people are like, why would I go there when I knew what was going to happen? Do you understand when I say conditioning? Do you understand what I mean by that fully? No. It's like you're programmed. When when a you know I was talking about the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. earlier, because there isn't the the ability to analyze. Yeah. There is there isn't the ability to be logical and make good decisions. You also don't have the ability to regulate emotions properly. That's why children, teenagers in particular, can be troublesome because they can't regulate anything. When you groom a child, you're literally wiring their brain. Yeah. So. When I say conditioned, what I mean is he may as well have got a needle and thread and wired your brain the way he wanted it, sewed yeah. all those patterns in so that you would be compliant and actually you would feel like you were doing it through free will. But but these people, they program you to behave the way they want you to behave so you feel like you're compliant. Which he had that. Yeah. And like, you know, with things, obviously the weed, mm. obviously about that point, I used to love smoking it. Mm. It was fun. Uh, the, the drinking the alcohol, it went from like me not drinking the bitter no more because he knew I didn't like it, and it went for, it went to like spirits. Yes. Uh, like, let's say, whis I think whiskey was one of them, yeah. which was really like fiery on the chest. Yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. Burny. But it used to get me smashed pretty quickly, especially with a spliff. Yeah. Um, and then it'll be money. Yeah. Because obviously we weren't well off. Um, I say well, obviously like everyone knows me, but we're like, we, we had no money growing up. We was quite, you know, strapped. Parents just worked to pay the bills and stuff. Yeah. Good for them. They provided, you know, um, but I couldn't get no pocket money or anything like that. He'd give me some. He'd yeah. give me money. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, so they're the things you're going back for. Yeah, I was going yeah. back for it. And then, you know, even with that happening at that point, you know, like I say, I used to run away from home. Where was the place that I'd go? To his. Yeah. yeah. Even if that was going to happen, you know, yeah. I'd still end up back there. Yeah. But, 
you know, that went on for three years. He was also doing the next door neighbor's kid as well. Mm-hmm. He was he was abusing him. Um, and I used to think they all adds up afterwards, you yeah. know, because he was coming around the house a lot. Yeah. Um, and there was this one day, and I this one day that um, he was just about to do something, and this kid next door, he he shot through the letterbox, and he basically saved it from happening. Oh wow! What was going to happen? Yeah. And it, and it, he basically stopped that from happening. And um, and that was the last time that that had happened. Is that because you then never went back, or is no, that because because uh, he got nicked? Right. So this boy that had been coming around, he'd been uh, being abused for a couple of years as well. He was older than me. He was about fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, and um, he had a girlfriend as well. He he went uh, into the nail sex or anything. Yeah. He was I don't know what was going on with them. To be fair, probably the same as me. Yeah. And um, he was uh, having girlfriends, and he was bringing them around to my uncle's house, and he was manipulating my uncle. So he was doing the reverse. Even though he was still being touched up in that with himself, he was also being the abuser to my uncle by bringing women around, causing mental health issues for my uncle because he's seeing him with a, with a girl. Right. Crazy scenario. Yeah. Um, so my uncle went and handed himself in at the police, drunk one night, and said that he'd been having a sexual relationship with said boy. Uh, not me, to mention me. Uh, said boy. He then got arrested um and he was remanded they raided his house found 37 black bags filled with cannabis in the shed homegrown well i think there might have been the loft one or two i can't remember if it was the loft or the shed outside and um that was then i'd come back from school my mum had asked me to uh, walk her to the bus stop to work so i'd which was random she'd never asked me that before so i did she asked me the question outright has your uncle ever done anything to you and i'm like what the fuck no no yeah, straight away. No. <laughs> straight away. No. And I'm thinking, why the hell is she asking me that? Because she didn't tell me at first. So I, I was like, no, no, why? And she was like, no, no reason. Just asking. And I was like, okay. And she was like, are you sure? And she kept badgering on about it. I'm thinking, why is she asking me that? And I got scared then because I was hearing, like, no, I don't believe you. Oh, why are you saying anything? At this point, I didn't know you'd been nicked. I didn't know you'd been arrested. Right. So I could have turned around and said, yeah. And then yeah. he's come around me out. I was like, why are you saying stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what to yeah. expect at that point. Which is a really good, that's a good bit of the story, actually, because it tells us when you ask a child a question, give context to the question. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm blaming your mum for that, but, yeah. you know, make sure the child knows something and, and enough so that they will actually feel safe. So to you can trust truth. that fact yeah. you're yeah. safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't feel safe no. at that point. I, uh, no. Unknown. There's so much unknown. Oh, my that... God. That was one of the worst scenarios to be in at that point. And yeah. I, I was just like, what do I say? So I, I sat on it for a bit. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. And I, I, you know, I stewed on it for the night. And then I went back to school the next day. And then that day was the day I decided. Well, she, she, I asked her the question and I said, why were you asking me them questions yesterday? And she told me that he'd been arrested for, for what he'd done. I can't remember the word she used, but there was a word that she used um, for with the next door neighbor's kid. His name was Mark. I don't even know who he is anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. so as soon as she said that to me... Did she say he was molesting him? Something like that. that's the word that they yeah. usually use, isn't it? Yeah. It was... I, I, I can't remember if... I, I, I can't remember the words she used. It was basically on the lines that he'd been, you know, doing acts of insane yeah. stuff to him. Yeah. Um, and the minute that she said at uh, that point in that walk that he'd been arrested, I, I instantly said, yeah, he's done it to me. Straight Aww. away. It's straight come out. Yeah. Um. And then I had to, well, she obviously went mad straight away. She yeah. phoned into work saying she weren't coming into work. 
Imagine if she'd have gone to work as well after that. I've just told you that. Oh, well, God, you're not well, gonna, you wouldn't be able to have the day off work then, Mum. But <laughs> um, yeah, she had the day off work. Went back in the house, sat in front of my stepdad. I had to tell him exactly what I just told me, Mum. He went absolutely berserk. Yeah. But, but by this point, obviously, he's already locked up, so there's no harm that can come to him anyway. Um, and then it was just set up with for me to have to discuss everything via cameras in front of police. Um, men police as well. Yeah. Which was the worst. Yeah. That was so uncomfortable. Of course. I mean, they really should have had at least a female and a male. With men, yeah. Or giving you the choice. Or giving you yeah. the choice. Didn't have the choice. And it was so, I felt so much anxiety in that situation. It and was as a awful. Kid, I was giggling and stuff. Yeah. Whilst I was going through what he was doing to me. And I mean, going through what he was doing to yeah. me. Like, obviously, I'm not going to go into detail, but it, like some of this stuff was ruthless. Yes. And, like, and I had to talk about this on camera. And I've got these men asking me questions about what another man has done to me. Which is just, I mean, how old are you at that point? When 13. 13, yeah. So I'm in secondary school at this point now. So, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm basically at that age now where my own puberty is starting, you know. Yeah. And it's, it was just a weird scenario. Yeah. Going forward, my case was dropped from court. So there was no conviction for my um, incident. So there was nothing. So, you know, three years of going through something as traumatic as that. Well, I'd say I say tra going through something as traumatic as that. But like you said, about being conditioned, it, it wasn't traumatic at the time it was happening. It was just after when it had all come out. Yes. That's where the trauma had hit me. Well, because you're desensitized when it's yeah. happening. So then they, that was then I'd had that sense of exactly what I'd just been through. Yeah. Um, and I'd literally, as a male, I've been raped by a man. And it, yeah. it was, you know. So that was hard to look at because then I was very, very confused after that. I didn't know who I were, what, why that happened to me. Yeah. Was I, was I, you know, was I gay now? Yeah. I was questioning a lot of stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't getting the right answers. Why was that case dropped, by the way? Because he'd already admitted doing it to someone else. So I think it was following from, I think, my police interview, to be honest with you. Do you know what like, I've always said? We've had this conversation. I've always said that perhaps they already had so much, so much with a, maybe not only did they not have to fund it, maybe they just didn't want to put him through it. Because you see that sometimes in court, because they have a big enough case with one. Sometimes you see that they don't always follow up. But that should have been explained if that's the case. Have. Yeah, it should have. Because that's another that's way that that service has let you down. Yeah. And, and and yeah, and I and I think from following from that, I just I just hated the world. Mm. So my anger came out. Yeah, as you would expect. So yeah. that's their now behaviour. Yeah. So what the result of my behaviour? Then I was put into behavioural therapy. Like, yeah. I don't need behavioural therapy, no. mate. Like, and I know this now when I look back. That's not yeah. what I needed. No. And I was sat in this room with this woman. I hated her. Yeah, she was a funny woman. Like, well, yeah, they, I, I've know? talked about this openly. This I had awful experiences, yeah. and I, she just was unhelpful. Yeah, I've on certain occasions, like I, I was, I, I was knocking chairs over in the. I just didn't like her. Yeah, um, and it might be at school. I was fighting. And I weren't a fighter as no. that age. I wasn't. I didn't want to hurt anybody. What I used to do as a kid, I'd be that scared to punch someone in the face. I kick him in the shin and run off. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was me. I was probably up to up to their shins, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I was only about three foot at fourteen years old. Like, but um, but yeah, I didn't. I was never really into the violence kind of stuff at, at thirteen years old. But psh, I am now. Yeah. Um, and, and that all started coming out, and um. Again, I, I, I 
I got involved in boxing and put it in, put my anger into that. Oh, you did. Um, but it was I got excluded from school for scrapping. I beat up my bully in school. Yeah. Finally, I weighed him in in school, and you know yeah. it all came out. And again, conflicted, confusing. You know, I was always told to always hit the bigger one and you know stick up for yourself. And then I'd finally done it, and I was punished for it. And it was just yeah, like, it didn't Christ. make sense. Like a yo-yo, yeah. Like I'm coming yeah. or going. Um, and yeah, and then it, it kind of went from there, and then that's where my gang lifestyle started oh right so that takes us from and, and you're like 13 at 14 15 around that yeah. time and when we talk about gang are we like to give context friends. to that friends yeah and these are people that are looking after you and you feel safe with them and they understand you or at least you feel like you fit in with them that kind of yeah there, 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 there was a mixture of mixture of older lads i've always been wrapped around older people to be honest with you yeah um uh, whether that would be because of the abuse because there was it was happening with older people i don't know i've never yet got my head around that and you know i've always been attracted to older people yeah uh to chill with um yeah. and that, that I, I was finding that in a youth club because sometimes youth clubs are breeding grounds for this stuff i i know um, yeah that's why yeah. they need to be properly stuffed and yes they proper do. Trained people in there like me yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah that little advert. That, that advert. Now, if you're looking for somebody you know, so, but um but yeah and i i was like you know as kids we like i said before we had no money um i i wanted to eat the walkers crisps yeah and i wanted have to have the best food yeah and of course everything. and of these course. older kids was eating all that yeah. in these youth clubs with the tuck shops and stuff and not, i didn't have the money for that so were they when you talk about the older kids that were eating all the food and that were doing all the sort of not, were they then targeting you because they knew that you didn't have that? No, I was okay. lead myself you to them. Get, right. All right, boys. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, oh, what was that? Oh, can I have a crisp? Like, cheeky little shit. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, can yeah, I can have a crisp. Yeah. Oh, can I can have a bit of that Coke. And yeah. it was just kind of like that. And I, I was a likable kid. I wasn't a knob. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was, I was, I was just that cute little blonde kid. I, I, I think I've got a picture on my Instagram of me when I was like that age, 13, 14. I just looked like an innocent blonde kid. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that the stuff I was involved in or possibly would have happened to me would have happened to me by looking at me. Yes. Um, but it had, and if not worse, and and that's you know that was how it kind of escalated and. I then found myself, you know, out on the streets then. And, I, like, the behaviour was pure rebellious from any kind of rule or regulation that was thrown at me. I ain't sticking to it mm. at all. And I, and I think I, I, I blamed... I, I, did I blame my mum on that? Like, for no, I, I always questioned why no one even realised or noticed that something like that was happening to their child. That's a really big and important bit of reflection, isn't yeah. it? It's like... How was this going on? Mm. And and I mean, what's your relationship like with your mum? My mum's passed away now. She's passed away. Yeah, a now. couple of years ago. Yeah. Did you ever get to have that conversation with her? See, the thing with you know, like, what was my mum like yes. when it comes to have conversations with my mum? Yeah, once she she would never be so serious about it, would she? No. Difficult. She she don't she don't, probably a difficult subject for her. Very difficult. Honest. Yeah. Look, I, look, I'm not mm. going to take that away from my mum. You know, yeah. like that's. But still, it happened to me. End of the day, yeah. Like to put, take that on the chin. Yeah. But the thing is, she'd. My mum had an alcohol issue, right? Um, and I mean, my, you know, my brother and sister will clearly say that my mum did have a drink issue, and I'd never. I, I don't think I would have ever spoken like this about my mum if she was still here. Okay. So, they, you know, 
unfortunately she did she passed away of a heart attack a couple of years ago and my sister found her but oh, it's, it's like at that point this is where i'm saying that all my stuff well our stuff was just starting to come out now where we was putting things out visually yes and this was just after my mum had passed away oh so my god now my story is able to be properly told without offending people yeah my mum would have been offended quite is your stepdad still around yeah i don't talk to him mm-hmm. not a lot not not any like bad blood or anything really like you know we've had our moments throughout our life and you know i didn't like him and he didn't like me right and um but he's still my sister's dad yeah he's still my brother's dad and he's still my niece and nephew's granddad you know so yeah. he's, still, he's still part of that side of the family but I live in, in the southeast, so I don't really go to Nottingham too much. Um yeah. probably once or twice a year if if I'm lucky. So Yeah. <clears throat> um but yeah, I, I think <clears throat> my mum was a drinker. So she loved a drink. And it was only whether, uh, only ever when she was drunk that this stuff would pop up. Yeah. And she'd sit there crying at the dinner yeah. table, wouldn't she? It was my fault that Trevor did that to you and I will name him and all because he's dead. But um She's like, it's my fault. He's done that to you. I'm so sorry. And I used to say to her, why does it take you to be pissed to say this? Yeah. You know, or, or I, I, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm like, yeah, again, you're pissed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you would, you take it with a pinch of salt. I like you to say sober. Yes. And I know I weren't going to get it out of her sober because then the minute that you start talking to her about this stuff sober, she'll sit there like a naughty little kid in the corner with a take a break magazine with looking like she's sucked on a lemon. Just carrying so much guilt yeah. or confusion. Yeah. And she's like that, wouldn't she? We'd yeah. make her dinner. We'd make her dinner and I'd say something. She'd get the right arm and she'd be like, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just stood in the kitchen and I've just made you all that dinner. I'm not, I'm not hungry. I don't want any food. And she'd sit there. Like with her magazine. yeah that's right now like she'd do what my eight-year-old Tyler would do and um yeah but it was still my mum and I loved her and I you know that was just my mum and I, I was used to that and you know I'd never take that away from her yeah. you know you can't change it it's happened whatever but there was still I, I'd like to think and uh, we'd be able to pick something out with my kids yes you know if if I if anything was to be happening to my kids I, I'd, I'd I'd pick it out well when you're a parent you do start to question how on earth were the things that were happening to me being able to happen to me? Whether I was acting out or you were acting out or anyone, how are we doing this and no one's seeing the bigger picture? Mm. Because when you're a parent, you do see the bigger picture. And so it is a question that I think it haunts a lot of people. How was this able to happen for so long? Yeah. So by what age are you then? I mean, that, by the way, is that the first time you've told that story? About being abused. More in detail, like, I've not, I've not spoken in detail like that. Have I? No, I'm proud of you for doing. Uh, that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't want to just brush over that because, no, no, like, no, you've been really, Next. really open. No, yeah, yeah. You just want to get away on. from it, don't you? No, but you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd like to go into detail with exactly what happened, but it's not the time. Yeah. And I think you've got to be quite careful of how explicit you actually are, especially. I said, you, you know, YouTube, and you put things on channel. You have to be careful, especially if people are monetizing. For example, yeah, you've got yeah, to be yeah. careful what you say and how you say it. Yeah. So there, you know, there would be a time I'd like to be. But do you need to go into detail? I never you know? have. Does it I matter? never have. I've never given the. You know, I've never given the details because <laughs> there's a point where it's not really. No one needs to know. It doesn't matter, does it? You know, because it's it's one of those things that, first of all, when you start to give details, you're almost giving everything of who you are. There's no privacy left. 
and I like to have some level of privacy even though I've been authentic and vulnerable and all those things you know as a therapist I feel like I must have some privacy because otherwise it's too much and equally I think that what we're doing when we're opening up and we're being authentic is we're giving enough that somebody else understands that it's safe for them to do that too so that they can be open and honest in the way that helps them to repair their own life whether it is telling someone or whether it is just the bit like you said afterwards when you have told someone and actually now you've got the anger and the rage and you don't know what to do with it so hearing you say what you said will definitely resonate with someone and they will definitely go do you know what that's why I'm angry and hearing someone like you say it with you know the the openness that you've done that and 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 the 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 bits that are important is why would someone keep going back well we know you had been groomed there's more to the story though which people have questioned so basically the gang stuff is all happening yeah um i've been stabbed so i'm going to float through the story quite quickly on that part so you know the gang stuff had happened uh committing me crimes and stuff and you know knife crime was quite prominent in my life i was carrying knives so was, you know weapons whatever else uh revenge stuff all this stuff was going and it was the lifestyle you know and um i was um my best friend died first he died first he got stabbed and died in my arms so that was like the first initial how thing. old were you then 15. oh my god um, but I was one for fighting, like I said. Like I was back turning. I was a scrapper now. I was I was fighting everyone. They call they used to they used to call me ruthless. They used to call me Rufy. Was like the name when I was when I was younger. I was Scotty as the nickname, and um, and I'd fight anybody. It was like small man syndrome. I didn't care how big you were. I'd be yeah. having it. Like it yeah. didn't really matter. I had nothing to lose, to be honest. I was quite. I wasn't scared of anything. Yeah. And then um. And then I had a fight with a lad. As a result of that fight, I ended up getting stabbed after a couple of weeks later. I'd got jumped by him and his mates again. It was part of the lifestyle. We, you know, is that a bit of karma in it, really? Um, but then, obviously, we've I've moved into a hostel. This is where the drug then started. But when it come down, like my uncle, so I hadn't seen him. He'd obviously been locked up for he got four years, I think it were, uh, four year, three months or something, and. Um, I was at this point before that had happened, after all this stuff had happened, and I'd lived, I was living with my uncle, um, ex-military, wore a green jacket. He was he was crackers himself. He was a bit of a drinker, but he was probably one of my best uncles I had. Um, he's passed away now, bless him. But he's uh, we were staying with him, and this what well, I got a job in a car wash with my cousin, who is my abuser's son. Right. And he knew about this, and we had a bit of a up and down relationship, me and Jay. And he he, he didn't he never accepted the fact of me saying what i'd said about his dad still probably even to this day to be honest with you um but it happened yeah right? yeah um and you know it's we we worked together we worked at a car wash you know we was doing our thing and then this one day i'd come back and who was sat at the table him and this is like what i said to you the other day like what you said on that um the clip that you'd put out the other day about uh, you know, some people uh, still have a relationship with said abusers, yeah, and yeah. you know, and it's like, well, why the fuck are you doing that? Yeah, and that was the scenario. And you know, my uncle, it was his brother, um, and obviously my cousin still had a relationship with his dad. Yes. you know, that part of my story wasn't believed by certain people, um, which again was confusing for me. Yeah. You know, like why would the, why wouldn't you believe? Why am I just going to sit there and say this stuff that had happened if it ain't happened? It don't yeah. make no sense, yeah. does it? What no am I gaining that. from that? Yeah, no charges. You know, I'm not going to benefit anything from that. What am I going to no. get a new basketball for lying or something? Yeah, like, it don't make no sense. No, and um, 
he was sat at the table. And I've like, obviously, like, literally gone mad. So I'm, I'm 16 by this point, like, you know, so it's just like, what? Like, it was a big shock to see him for the first time, sitting there with his smarmy little fucking scarred lip face and like, just sat there at the table smoking weed like nothing had happened. Do you know what I mean? Well, that shit I've just gone through I for mean, all them what years. I, I mean, what, mm, you, to, to do that and to just turn up, when you know what you've done to this child yeah. and sit there like nothing's happened. Denied it till the day he died. He, he, even to the day he died, he's never admitted it. And I'm telling you, this is what happened, right? So I've, and I had admitted it. So I managed to swing it out of him. I basically fucking manipulated him in the end. And yeah. I, so my criminality started and I, I, I it was we're getting into like, like 17 and a half or something now. And I got my first sentence and gone to prison, Glen Parver. I needed somewhere to stay to get tag. So where am I going to get tag? I ain't got no family. Well, I have, but the guy's a prick and he abused me. Fuck it. I need to get out. So I got tag at his address. I'm now older. He ain't coming near me. I'll smash him in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I can look after myself. Now that ain't happening. And other people used to think that that was weird. Why are you going, why are you getting tag at his address? And he's done all that to you as a kid. So I said, all right, yeah, but that's cool. But I've also got him addicted to heroin and crack cocaine at the same time. Yeah. So now I'm using him in his house. He can use when I tell him he can use. Mm. So, because I'm selling the stuff. I'm working with Jamaicans. So they're coming in and out of my house with shooters and whatever else in my yeah. house. Like, yeah. So I was basically telling him when he can and can't have heroin. He was now under my control. So you became the power. Yeah. And I, I, I got him an addiction. I, I, you know, that was probably the least of his worries, to be honest, but it could have happened to him. Yeah. Um, and then he was later on by some people I won't name. He was he was run over by a car, run over again, lost his leg, loads of different things that. So I mean, had this was his punishment. Prison was probably no punishment. Let's be honest. Nah, there was not. This nothing was to his that. punishment. Yeah, and and you know, and that's that's kind of how it went from then on. It was just you know, it, he it created been... the monster that then, you know, took Come over to his life. Him, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it did haunt him. Yeah. And this is what, um, this is interesting because it's almost like a film, isn't it? Like you, you can almost see this. And I'm not trying to belittle it. I'm saying you couldn't write this stuff mm. really, although I've just said it could be a film, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like I am reading a book or watching a film here. Like the boy that's abused, he gets into the gang life because he's angry and, and this is a a place to belong and rightly or wrongly you know you've done things within that time that I say rightly or wrongly because actually I'm still thinking of the escapism and the way that you were trying to self-soothe and then the person that's abused becomes the person that is really a perpetrator in a way in the sense that you're manipulating him coercing him and then you know, these these people are driving over him and he loses his leg and whatever. And and at this point, you're still not even 21? No. You're still a teenager. Yeah. And you're going, this life is really dark. And, and are you heavily addicted at the time too? Yeah. Yeah. So you're deep, I'd, deep, deep in the addiction. I'd got addicted by 16 in the hostel. So this was obviously beforehand. I'd, I'd moved, I'd, I'd been out of my house just under just just under sixteen. I'd, I'd, my parents had broken up, mm. 
So I was basically on the offending for myself from that age. Yeah. So I had to grow up pretty quickly. Yeah. To say grow up, I still probably weren't even mature. Well, no, I mean, I moved out around the same age. Yeah. You're definitely not grown up no, at that no age. Way. You're just surviving. Yeah. And I was in and out of hostels for, but then again, I was, I was taking drugs and it took, it took about a year before it took effect. Mm. You know, I enjoyed it. So I was fucking wonderful. Yeah. You know, well, I, again, you were a kid. Yeah, of course you do. You know, taking these drugs in hostels can do what the fuck I want. You yeah. know, and I was getting buzzed out. Like the yeah. heroin was probably one of the best things I've ever taken in my life. Yeah. At that point, you know, yeah. obviously you're unaware of the consequences of when you're taking it. You don't know that there's going to be some after effects of that and the withdrawal symptoms and stuff. You don't know that until the withdrawal start. Yeah. Then you know, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. this is a little bit much. Like, well, that's you know, what hooks you into the addiction, yeah. isn't it? Trying to avoid the withdrawals. Exactly. But it was just the point of, you know, I'd found something. Like, cannabis wasn't really doing that for me at that point. I wasn't really interested so well once you're on heroin i doubt very much cannabis oh, yeah. has the same like... I, I didn't even drink alcohol at that point because no. you know i didn't i didn't believe on doing two different things at the same time yeah stick with one yeah heroin was the choice yeah and it was it wasn't until probably about four months in that i started to if i hadn't used for for a day or so i'd be getting withdrawal symptoms i felt a little bit shivery and runny nose and you know, yeah. and, you know i had a bit of a headache and felt like a fluid felt sick yeah and i didn't you know it what it wasn't that serious at that point and I, I was coping with it you know that was all right it was a bit of withdrawal and then i'd use again um and, the, and then i'd feel better so then that's how i knew that like that was the what people used to say cold turkey yeah so i knew i was addicted at that point because yeah. i was feeling that and then i thought Whoa, i can't be feeling like that anymore so i was then continually making sure that I had gear around me at all times, whether, however, I had to get that stuff, I was getting it, whether I'd be robbing people or what, you know, I'd be getting that. Um, and then, yeah, and then that's how it escalated and it just got completely out of hand. From then on, there was no going back then. I mean, Jesus Christ yeah. is all I can say <laughs> it's so a lot far. to take in, ain't it? Yeah. yeah. Even Jesus don't know about it. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry to blaspheme everybody, but <laughs> yeah. wow. Like yeah. the levels of experience there. But just to, 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 to say as well, like if anyone's going to understand what kids are going through, it's definitely going to be you. So not only are you doing the best work in the world right now, and you are, like you really get it. And I've always said this, I, I, I've mentioned it on a different podcast. One of the reasons that I started to tell my story to my clients, if I felt it was benefiting them. That's what I say all the time. All the time. Yeah, you, you, it does benefit them because they're telling you a story and they're like um, telling you bits of it and you can see that they're unsure as to whether it's okay to say something. You can see that they're unsure as to whether it's safe to say something. And especially when it came to things like, you know, I, I drank heavily and I, I never even knew at the time that I had a problem, mm. but I was falling asleep in my own sick regularly so you know sticking your hair and not caring is is a problem yeah and it was every day mm -hmm. and i was living a life that was not safe at all and all those things that i thought again a bit like you this is just normal I'm, there's nothing there's nothing weird about this i don't mm -hmm. just didn't even didn't even consider to me that i never considered sorry that anybody would think it was weird or that think it wasn't normal because it was normal to me i was still a kid yeah and then all these things that people were telling me i was like oh i've I just need to share with you that if, if it's safe to do so, I need to tell you something. Like, I've been yeah. there, done that, and you're going to be okay. And that's the very short version of it. But then they would say, oh, 
you get me so I can trust you. Aww. Whereas like you said about your <coughs> behavioral therapist and the therapy that I had had, I, I was never going to tell them anything because they were, they were make, they were gaslighting me in the same way you've been gaslighted, but they were making me feel like I was the problem. And I was trying to find out, can you help me with the problem that I actually have? Which Not is give how you I another feel. one. Yeah. And that's exactly what you yeah. went through. They, they would accuse me of things and make insinuations and assumptions and they weren't nice. They were cold and angry and yeah. all of those things. And that is a problem. If a child is vulnerable, even if they appear to be like, at 16, I was not looking 16 <coughs> and, you know, behaving in a certain way, they're still a child. Mm -hmm. You still understand that they haven't fully developed yet. You still understand they've been through something. Why are you being an asshole? Yeah. I don't care. People go, oh, it's that generation. No, they were assholes. Yeah. It's that simple. When you put it like that, yeah. I think I've met a few of them. Exactly. And it's still happening today with the yeah. social services. Not all of them, obviously, but these particular, they're just assholes. Yeah. It's not about a generational thing. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. End of. And unfortunately, it seems like we've all come across them. Yeah. Which can make it worse. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's just... I've... There's just so much to the to move forward. There's, you've you've got to get to a point in your life, like we we got we got to that point, didn't we? And not and I well, I got to that point, and it was just like when's enough is enough? Yeah, like, very good question. How how long can you avoid the problem? Yeah, you know, and and I avoided it for a long time. Yeah, but as a result, always questioning why do I keep going back? Like because yeah. you know I try yeah. and then I'd lapse and then I would try and yeah. then I'd relapse. And then I'd try and then I'd lapse again, you know, and why do I keep going back? Because you like, weren't ready to face the shadow. No. And, and, and I think when that happened between me and Carla, obviously she gave me like, she, you know, that three months that I was, you know, out of the house and that was just my free reign to just crack on and, you know, get it out of the system, as you say, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and that was, it had to be my rock bottom. I think what it was as well is that once he'd got that addiction, during that time that I was trying to stop him, it wasn't him trying to stop himself. It was yeah. him trying to stop for my benefit. It was, yes. him, it was me trying to stop him. The more I was trying to, the more he was trying to hide it from me, still doing it, but trying yeah. to hide it from me. So it was just like this revolving circle. Whereas as soon as it was right now, you're losing. If, in, in some ways I was enabling it to carry on because I was still with him. I was still, I was, I, I felt like I could save him. Mm. And in the end I thought I can't save him. You know, I'm going for, I'm, I'm going for a lot of stuff that is, making me ill now I'm taking on all this stress and now I'm not in a good place who's going to look after the kids so eventually enough was enough and yeah and then he went and got it out of his system for three months and then after that it was like the turning realization point wasn't it yeah I'd lost I, I woke it was funny like we'll talk about this now but it was like the morning the morning of that I woke up I woke up this one morning now this place was crackers where I were uh, and obviously we've all got our own issues anyway like nothing i can't take anything away from them they also had their own issues you know yeah. what i mean but i was in this madhouse and uh, you know this this poor lady and uh, again it was it was all coercive in that house anyway everyone was an addict in there yeah you know what I mean? yeah and um but yeah she like I, I'd, I'd sleep i was sleeping on this floor 
and uh, this this woman had an issue with with crack, and they they call it they they call the name of like they call it chicken picking, and, and you know if you've had a bit of crack, and then once you've had it, you're like looking around on the floor and picking up things, thinking you've dropped bits of crack on the floor, just crazy stuff. And um, she she was doing that, and it, you know she was doing it at like three o'clock in the morning. I'd be fast asleep, and I could feel something tickling my nose and that, and it'd be like her <laughs> hair, and she and she and and I'd be laying there, and I'd be at the cover, and 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 I'd open my eyes, she'd be like hi. <laughs> And, like, oh God, I, and I'm like, what are you doing? I won't say her name, but I'm like, what are you doing? Let's just call her Joe or something. What are you doing, Joe? And she's like, well, I'm sure I dropped a bit of crack down here, boy. Don't mind me, but I'll find it. But it weren't. It was like cat litter and stuff, and it was just Aww. like crazy. And I was just oh, fuck, I can't do this anymore. No, I mean, this that is, is rock bottom. So this one morning I'd woke up, and I, I felt like shit anyway. I, I was withdrawing that day, and um, and then there was uh, there was a little knock on the window. And like, and obviously we're all paranoid. Who's that? Yeah. You know, who's at the window? So I've opened it and it was this lady, this Scottish woman that we know. And she's actually always, she's got her own problems herself and she bless yeah, her. Yeah, she's, she's an addict, but she's, she's a functioning addict. But, but she's, um, she's, 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 it's sad. It's very it's sad. sad. She's a lovely, lovely, lovely human, person, so but sad. it's just sad. She's, she's, she's in the she madness. Can't get away from it. And, um, she knocked on the window. Yeah. And she's like, um, someone's there to see you. And I'm thinking, who the fuck's that? Like, who's coming to see me? Like, I said, who? She was like, just come up here and you just find out. And I was thinking, who the bloody hell is she talking about? So I've gone up there and who's there? Boom. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So what had happened, it was the first, it was my son's, because he was, it was his first day at nursery. So it was the first day that I didn't have him. And I dropped him off to nursery and I sat there and I thought, I couldn't stop throughout the whole time that he wasn't there. I couldn't stop thinking about him anyway. And I kept thinking in my head, I wonder if he's died. I really felt like he died. Oh, it, God. it gives me a lump in my throat talking about Oh, me. bless you. I thought it was you. Oh no! I thought I've known. I didn't. I didn't Where prepare for this. He was behind there. <laughs> we need that old bless. If you want a tissue, I'll go and get you one. I'm, I'm just so worried about your makeup. Him. So I was driving back down the hill and I always looked out for him in town and stuff. But obviously, whenever I had the kids, I would never have stopped or anything. And um, <clears throat> so I dropped him off to nursery and then I was driving through town and I saw this lady that we both know. And I said to her, I, I pulled up and I said to her, like, come over. And I said, is he, I got her to get in the car and I said, is he still alive? Have you heard from him? Do you know if he's still okay? Like, has he killed himself? Like, what's the situation? She said, I'll show you where he is. I'll show you where he's living. So I thought, all right, well, at least if I know where he's living as well, it made me feel better, knowing that he's in a house, knowing that he's alive. So we drove round, she showed me where he was living, and we drove past, and I went round to, like, the next road. And she went to me, should I go and get him? And I thought, oh, God. You I don't know. This yeah, was I, a choice now. I, yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know. Like, no, but, yeah, maybe. Don't know. Like, everything was going through my head. Were you scared? Not really. I wasn't really scared. No, it's more. It was more the fact that oh, I don't really know. It was such a mess, messy mix of emotions, really. And it was like I hadn't really been given that option for all that time. I'd just shut the door and kind of, you know, I'd got the kids, and and this was the first occasion that I didn't have the kids, so it was a bit. Yeah. You know, so I said, all right, go and get him. And I thought if he's, you know, I'll be able to tell by the look on his face if he's on anything. I'll just drive off. It'll be fine. I won't let him in the car. I'll just look at him out the window. So that's what she did. She went and got him. And he came up to the car window. And I... It, yeah. That was the first time I'd seen him in three months. Yeah. 
What was that like? That first. I was fucked. Like no, meaning like I looked a mess. Yeah, skinny. I'd lost loads of weight, obviously. Yeah, Yeah. was completely like it it was quite. I think it was quite warm that day, and he was covered in. He had a coat zipped all the way up, and just shitty Ralph Lauren. Just looked like I used to live in. Yeah, help me. (laughs) (laughs) Just looked really bad, and I, I remember saying to you, "Are you going to go to court?" You know these all these junctions injunctions that I've got. I've got the non molestation order. I've got the the child arrangements order. Court is tomorrow. I think it was the next day, weren't it? Are you going to go to court, like to try and get access to the kids? Are you going to try and talk to anybody? Anyway, he didn't realise. Had you had the paper? No, I didn't no. even know it was court. So didn't he didn't even know. He didn't realise. Anyway, he said to me, "Like I'm in a bit of a bad way," and I picked him up and I went and got him some food. Yeah. Wow. Went and got him some food, and I said to him, I just had a talk really, and I said to him, "Look, you've got a." He's, I remember he say, him saying to me, "I just don't want to do this anymore. I've had enough. I'm at the end of my tether, and I thought I've heard all this before." Yeah. You know, I don't. I, I want to believe what you're saying, but I don't believe what you're saying. So, I just said to him, "Well, you know, it's down to you. You've got to do it on your own. You've got to try and get yourself sorted out. And if you do, you do. I hope that you do. The kids really miss you." And I remember showing him a video of Tyler and him getting upset. I remember you crying. Yeah, it was bad, but we had a bit of a conversation. I dropped him back off. And that night you didn't go back, did you? Nah. Slept I slept in a park. Yeah, I slept in a park on a slide. Instead wow. of going back to that house that I was at. You chose I'd, to sleep somewhere else. Yeah. I'd lost all desire for it. I just it wasn't fun anymore. No. You, do you know you know you can go through times where you're having fun and you know, you've you, I had my blowout, that was it. And at that point, you know, there was I'd lost everything anyway. Yeah. So how am I gonna get that back? So it's, you know, I, I, this is the kind of thing that I always say to people as well. And I was saying this in the car on the way up, there's like three elements for me and that's acceptance, change and responsibility. Yep. Uh, and they was the three key points for me. Yeah. So I, I'm the only one that can change it. Yeah. I have to take responsibility for it. Yeah. And I have to accept every bad thing that's yes, ever happened do. and yeah. everything that I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and it was a slow process of doing that. Yeah. Um, but I started that process off that first day that I saw her again. So it was, you know, there was more, I had, I was affecting more people in my life rather than what I were before. Yeah. So I had kids and stuff. And, you yeah. Know, it wasn't even just so much even for the I had, we had Tyler, he bizarred with me anyway. At that yeah. Point. But I had another two kids as well. I was being really yeah. irresponsible. And everything that I'd done to, to Carla and the stuff that I'd put her through throughout that period as well, it's just like really, you know. But I'll tell you so, what, I mean, you'll know this as well as I do. Many people go through what you two go through and never come back from it. And that and that's because the person, i.e. you, never gets better. No. So what makes you two different? Well, I we so from that moment for going forward, we you know if you want something so bad, you you you've got to fight for it. Yeah, and and you know. But we, what makes you a fighter in that way? Because I know you've been a fighter, but I, I I I'm butting in there for a reason because what you're about to say is I know what you're going to say. You got to fight for it and do the work and all that. But some people never do. They really don't feel like they can. So what is it about you two that together? you've been able to find that spot, that little bit of magic that not only made you push through as a couple, mm. as a family, but has enabled you to turn this into something really um, important, 
I was going to say amazing then, but that's not the right word. What you do for, for a living is really important. What you're doing with Project Youth and the bleed boxes and all of that is really important. So I know that's a difficult question. You may not even know the answer. Maybe we're just a power couple. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I think yeah. that's it. Um, yeah, no, and everybody does say we're a power couple. Yeah. People on TikTok say we're, we're a power couple. We're the best couple on TikTok and yeah. stuff like that. We get that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, did you know, and the reason why I like to be like that, because I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. No. And like, you know, there's times in life for us to be serious and there's times in life that we can have fun and there's times in life that we can still have fun out of the seriousness. Well, laughter so, is the best medicine. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and I don't want everything to be so serious, but at the same time, when we're when we're dealing with other people's issues, you know, if somebody messages us privately, that's serious. It is that's serious. That's a serious time. Yeah. Um, and then you know, it's, then we can make light of the moment when we've been speaking with this person for however, however long, and we yeah. get to know them a bit better. And you know how we carry ourselves anyway. That's just us. Yeah. Like we. You we, are unique. <laughs> yeah. And we will sit there, won't we? And we will have these conversations. We'll talk about ourselves, and then we'll just crack crack a joke. Yeah. And then we have people in stitches, and some of the stuff. Yeah. That we come out with on there, we have people fucking laughing their heads off. It's <laughs> yeah. a bit of therapy, ain't it? Yeah, laughing course. together and, and just you've got to enjoy yeah. it, in your. I think also the um, it's really odd because all of the stuff that I went through, I, I feel like I did try and I did do some trauma based therapy and it didn't work for me. It was maybe I didn't give it long enough, but I didn't feel like it was yeah. helpful. If anything, it felt very unhelpful. But one of the things I was stuck in this rut for a while afterwards, and it was almost like it, it comes down to a responsibility thing because the person that I wanted to talk to about it oddly was him. Yeah. But every time I approached a subject, he'd clam up and I'd get annoyed that he wouldn't listen to me. But I felt like I know now, because now we've further down the line, we've had so much communication, which was a bit of a barrier. And it was the guilt that he felt, which is why he was blocking it off. But of I felt like you know, however much guilt you feel about what I'm feeling. It, it was like what I was feeling was being disregarded. I just wanted him to know sort of like what I'd been through and then to take the responsibility and then to understand maybe some of the problems that I'd got as a result of some of the stuff. I'm not saying everything was a result of him because I'd been through domestic incidents prior to even meeting him. Yeah. However, I felt like this was worse and I almost wanted him to listen, but the more I wanted him to listen, the less he wanted to listen. It, it became a barrier for a while yeah. and it affected our relationship. But somehow we managed to just turn it all around. We actually did. I think, <laughs> I think, what, it, I think what it were, because I, I was, so there, there has been key points. You know, we're like, and she said this before as well, like, like it's, it's the fact that like, I I was at that point now of like I'm sorted out I'm I'm okay now yeah I'm done so we don't need to go there but she wasn't okay yeah. so I've been she's, putting it all on hold and she put a lot of work into me to be okay yeah so whilst I was going through what I was going through seven years ago to be in the position we are today she was still the one that was helping me be in that position and guilt and so, shame will put people into yeah. block mode. You know, I feel ashamed, I feel guilty, I feel like it's going with the earth and I'm trying to get better here, so I can't do this right now. Yeah. And you're going, yeah, but I'm hurt. Yeah, and he used to say to me, I remember this phrase, and it used to it used to hurt when he said it, he used to say to me, why are you so stuck in the past? Like, stop being stuck in the past, stop talking about the past, we're going forward. Why are you still stuck in the past? And it used to... What he was saying was, please don't put me in the past. Exactly. That's and, what he was really saying. Yeah. And I struggled with that, because I felt like he doesn't want to hear it, it's not nothing to do with me, it's relevant, it's always got to be about him. The amount of stuff that I've put, like, sort of... One of the hard things, once he then, you know, he started to recover from 
taking drugs and he wasn't taking them anymore was that he volunteered down the drug and alcohol service yeah. and I wanted him to do that because I wanted him a sense of have sense of purpose and I knew it was important for that but at the same time he's now going to be leaving the house and going down to a place where he could easily see people that are potentially carrying drugs yeah you know there could be people outside the house uh, outside of the place that you know these people are all struggling themselves is it good for him to be down there with other yeah. people that are but obviously it worked out for the good and I had to put trust you had in to go him. through that anxiety yeah so again all of these feelings that I've got are all pushed to the back because I wanted him to get better you know it was important for him to be okay it was important I felt like I had to just be the strong one and I've always felt like I had to be the strong one and and then once he was okay it was like I'm not the strong one anymore I need you to be the strong one yeah but it was obviously difficult for him he'd moved forward with his life he just wanted to forget about this time and like you said it's it's that guilt and shame and well, how did you become the rescuer in the first place? What, I honestly what, don't know. Because you said that right early on, and, and, and it's obviously been a theme in your life where there's been broken people that you've been attracted to, and you've wanted to help them, and you've wanted to fix them. And each time they've obviously been in the serious relationships quite damaged. Um, yeah. Obviously with Carl, it's really worked out beautifully, and perhaps that's because of you as well oh, as because of him because you've too much praise. Well, no, because you held a safe space for him because you went back to see if he was okay and because you reminded him of court and because you know he wasn't didn't have the capacity and no one had actually looked after you like that before no. and sometimes when we go look at this person how they've recovered and i've been this person that we're not looking at the network around them of might only be one or two people that have actually said i love you no matter what yeah. Even though you're hurting me, I love you no matter what. And that has enabled that person to see themselves in a different mirror. And I think you gave Carl a different mirror to see himself in. And it enabled him to do the work that he's done. And I don't want to take that power away from you because you did the work. I'll take it. I'll give it to me. <laughs> well, I, I actually look quite good looking in that mirror. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a phenomenal reflection. <laughs> well, the mirror was being everyone holding yeah. it up. Right. <laughs> but no, and I think another point of it as well, this time, like, instead of it being like a, a one-sided band where it's just one person putting in working, like, we're both actually You're doing it, doing yeah, it together. Because you need to be yourself, which is partly the nurture and the fixer, and you need to be the person that has that lived experience yeah. of, of all those different multifaceted experiences you've had to drive the, the thing forward. But, you, I mean, was that just, were you one of these kids that were always like playing with the dolls and wanted to be the mum? What what happened? I was actually, I always wanted to have loads of kids as well. It's funny you say that, I had loads of dolls. My mum yeah. would tell you, I always had loads of dolls. I don't know where it comes from. You were from. just a natural, you were a natural born nurturer. Maybe. And that's what made you go into the rescuing. A natural born nurturer, that sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think you are. I, I think, because we, we use labels like rescuer and people pleaser and all those things and fixer. That's what all the social services said. Yeah, and I just think you were a natural born nurturer who fell in love and you knew, I think you knew, I can help someone and I want to help someone. And for some reason, the nurturer in you has been able to pull out the best version of you. And that's where you mm. say we work best together. And sometimes, of course, being the nurturer means that you're more likely to fall for people that need nurturing. Yeah. And those people may well hurt you. 
but you're going to get hurt in life one way or another. And I always yeah. say to people, because the trauma work I would do with people would be to say, look, let's stop using things like rescuer and fixer. And let's look at the nurturing part of your personality because we've all got different parts of us. And sometimes if your nurturer is abused by someone, then that can become a problem for you, yeah. of course. But we mustn't lose the nurturer and shut it down and block it off. Yeah, especially like you say, if it's part of your personality. Uh, yeah. How it can is you not be like that. You cut exactly. Mm. So not, you know, not making someone feel ashamed that they're somebody that will nurture and will want to fix. And I think it's a beautiful quality, and oh, we need you. it in society. We do, don't we? And look at what you've done together as as a result of your power, your nurture, and that power together, and the power that you've got to be a survivor too, because you've survived. You've survived, and there's there's. That is where the power couple thing comes from, I think. But I was, just, and I wouldn't have done it if if she wouldn't have come to the sent that woman to the door. No, I know that day. That's like, what I'm saying. She, there was, look, I don't want to get all spiritual here, but there are key moments in life that just align beautifully for what's going to happen next, mm. and you can't deny those moments. You going seeing that woman, just think about the sliding door scenario here that she, yeah. you didn't see her in that moment. Right. And I hadn't seen her for, for the same amount of time I hadn't seen him. Exactly. So weird. Exactly. In that moment, you saw that woman who knew where he was that took you to him and you had that conversation that changed the course of the future. To me... It's nuts. It's nuts, <laughs> yeah. Like those moments, we just take them for granted. Mm. We don't actually go, hang on, WTF. Sorry to be <laughs> cheeseball. But that is pretty phenomenal that moment there and i say to people never ignore the moments oh i love that yeah because it is quite that that it is true and yeah. i think in, and out of that like you know we 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 went against everything yes and and you know that people would thought that i mean we, we've had our issues we broke up a couple of times in our relationship but you know each time we've been in a position we've come out stronger yeah and I, and and then from where people have always put that down and you know they've had some negative stuff about about the relationship like at the end of the day we we've managed we we went against that we've had a we've had a, another baby girl yeah you know we've had our, our Madison and don't we? Yeah. And then we've, you know, we've we've moved into a different house, and you, you know, all the the positions that we've we've we're in now is mental. And it's, I just think what you've got is you you bring everything to the table. You just in this episode, there's been laughter, there's been oh. tears, there's <sighs> been moments of realization. Even for me, just listening, going, you know, I I like it when you remind me of the special moments in life as well. As I'm saying that to you about that woman in that moment, it's reminded me of how special each moment is as well. And that you're just bringing all of that by being yourselves, by being genuinely, authentically, truthfully yourselves. And I, and I think that's that's how, when we started social media, that yeah. is what we said we would do. Yeah. Uh, we don't have anything special to give, just that what no. we said. Well, this is the special. Just, yeah, we're just Carl and Carla. Uh, well, yeah. or two's a duo, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's us. And, and, you know, if people, there's nothing people can say, like we, we don't, what you see is what you get. Uh, and, and we, we have real stories, proven real stories. We just wanted yeah. to help other people, um, And we want they? to, yeah, because we know so many other people have been through exactly the same stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people haven't made it through. That's what I was saying earlier. Know. Yeah. But 
there's there's still others out there that we we speak to. We get many messages from people, and you know the comments that we get on some of our stuff is like it's phenomenal, isn't it? And yeah. you know, and, yeah. And there's there's a lot of people that do relate, and there's people that message us and say, and they will say, mate, or, or like both of you, thank you for that video that you put out the other day, or thank you for that video that you put out four weeks ago. I'm now four weeks clean. And, and you know what that is? Them moments are so rewarding. Yeah. That we read them to each other, don't we? Like we'll read it out and we'll be like, oh my god. Like, listen to this message. I know it's crazy, feels... isn't it? Yeah. Those oh. messages, those messages, and 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 what I was about to say is that you two are actually, and this I don't want to like give you the superhero complex here, but we we know from doing the work that we do through our social medias that when we say something, when we tell a little element of the story, yeah, there will be a certain amount of DMs, and for me it's usually DMs because I talk about really trauma and sexual abuse. Yeah. And most people don't want to reveal that on a public forum, but. I'll get a certain amount of DMs. And the stories that I've heard have been, and people have trusted me to share them as they do with you, you just realise this is actually really important. And particularly with the, the subject matters, you know, the young people, it's the sliding doors again. Yeah. You know, if you don't turn up at that school on that day and resonate with that child, if you didn't see that woman on that day and turn up at that, that building where you were and, and have that conversation life would be entirely different yeah it's so crazy to think that it really is and because of what you went through because of what you've gone through there are now people kids already that will not end up dead there's there's Mm. kids now we we still talk to some of the youth that i've worked with in past work you know we have kids coming up to us when we're in doing our shopping yeah and you know oh sir like you need to come back to the school it's shit without you here and that's in while we're with my kids doing an audi shop yeah and you know and then there's there's a couple of uh, young people that i've worked with when i was doing the, the the other role and you know, that some of them have actually came across to our bleed control training, didn't yeah. they? And sat with mm-hmm. us within that. And this is like three and a half years afterwards. And they're getting you really know? positive outcomes. Positive like outcomes in their life. They're, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're working. You know, and we, we have them on our social medias as well. And I talk to them. And that's the thing where, you know, yeah, our social media isn't massive. And it's not so much about, yeah, oh, great, I've got 100,000 followers. Who, who needs 100,000 followers when point. you're not doing anything with it? And, and, the, and this is what I say to quite a few people. And there's a lot of people that let this stuff go to their heads. Yeah. And like, you know, what, what's the point? We've got, what, what, let's say we've got 700 followers, for example, on, yeah. it, on Instagram. Now, the, the amount of people that we've got is positive. Yeah. And it's not so much about the, the, the quantity, it's the quality of what you've got. Yes. And the quality of what we've got is is massive. Yes. And we get engagement off most of them. Yeah. We we have really good positive feedback for them. Yeah. We we speak with these people on a positive matter. Having a hundred thousand people on my on my Instagram, I don't know how I could keep up with that. Well you can't. It becomes a very big problem actually, especially when you're doing the work that you're doing. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and I think for you, you've got your TikTok, which is like 26,000. 26, yeah. And then you've got your Instagram and then you've got your LinkedIn. And we were saying earlier, weren't we, before we started to record, I I, I will be up and this is a, a genuine, and you might even see how late I post. I am up in, at midnight doing my social media because it's the only time I get to do it. It's and so people, hard to manage. It's hard to manage. And I had someone managing it for me a while ago. You know you can schedule your posts, yeah. I know you can schedule your posts, but you see, <laughs> this is where the 
part of my brain um, that that should be organised is not organised. So it's just a lack of organisation. It's something I'm working on. You're exposing <laughs> the scattiness okay. of my life. I will be better organised, I promised. <laughs> we want to see those schedules. You want yeah. to send a screenshot. I want to see that. Do you know how to schedule on I do. Instagram. Social Bee apparently is a wonderful tool as well for oh, scheduling you across. You can do it actually through Instagram. I know because there's a place that you can do it on Instagram. Yeah, That's going to be Do you know what? I found pal. this a couple of days ago. Did you really? Well, I've known about it for a long time, so I I've didn't. got even less of it. Excuse me. It's literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have shared that with you. Yeah. I, but that's because my brain doesn't work with an organised. Yeah. You know, there are some bits that are extremely organised, but because that bit's organised, the rest of it isn't. So I've, I keep saying this to people about many different aspects of what I'm doing from a professional point of view. Next year is my year for getting all my eggs in the same basket, neatly lined up. No excuses. I've said it now. Publicly, we're going to hold you to that. Yeah, and and when you say next year, there's actually not that many months. I know, which is just really quite scary. Oh yeah, what we're talking January here? You can do this. I can do this, and I've said publicly, I will, I will. You and won't. you'll see that the post will no longer go out gone midnight, sometimes one o'clock in the morning. Unless they're scheduled to. Unless they're <laughs> scheduled to, which actually I might do because yeah. it's a... It's You're best people... off scheduling your posts to be out early evening between eight and nine o'clock. Everyone keeps telling me this, yeah. And I will. And at the weekends, yeah. the weekends is pointless doing your day daytime scheduling. You may leave everything at the weekend to the evening. Evening. Everyone keeps telling me that and I just ignore it. So I'm not going to ignore it anymore because you hear the same message enough times and you have to Well, I always use the word, if three people call you a horse, you need to buy a saddle. <laughs> yes. Wow. That is, where did that come from? The 1940s? Oh, <laughs> I heard that from my granddad. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, if three people call you a horse, and I said, what do you mean? What, why are people going to call me a horse? So, <laughs> and he was like, you'll understand. It's like, you know, that is basically saying like, you know, if more than three people say the same thing, you then gotta something's do it. coming from it. You yeah. Know? And I, and listen. Yeah, and listen to it. So I, I always go by that. So it's uh, it's one of them things. And that's look, look, they've had a social our... media lesson. I mean, you bring oh, it all. No. You've had a social oh, media stop. lesson. <laughs> yeah. Singing our praises, the thing you is, are. Like, social media changes all the time. And it like, does, you know, I, I know. I, I, I mean, admittedly, I am the social media boffin. And I, I do the sitting and the posting. Like, Carla you should have another account called the social media boffin. Oh, I should do. So yeah. like, I should make a film. But, yeah. no, but Carla, like, there's certain things that I can't do. And I'm like, baby, you need to do this. That's where I come in. Yeah, and she does this editing thing. It's normally looking after the kids. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll sit. I'll I, like. I'll always make sure I have to have a post on for early morning. Yeah. So, like, let's say between quarter, quarter to seven and a half, seven in the morning. Before people have gone to work and so, all that yeah, jazz. So, yeah, that'll be the post. When you then... wake up and you just can't be bothered yeah. to do anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's that morning. And then, and then I'll do an evening post, which will be tw- anywhere between eight and ten yeah. um, at night. But what I'm noticing is you've just got to be really careful because their algorithms are changing all the time. All the time. And yeah. especially TikTok. Now, you never know whether you're coming or going with TikTok. I can't get my head around it. So, TikTok, it'll either work oh, from what you see on the screen. Yeah. Or it'll be what you see in your description. Yes. So that is how it works. And it's, it's give or take what day that's on. So one day it could be in your description and it'll work out your keywords to put into the search bar. Yeah. And then tomorrow it'll be what you see on the screen. Well, it's funny because so, I would just to let everyone know, I mean, Carla's sharing this with us now, but you also kindly inboxed me. Yeah. Say, look, oh, but look at your TikTok, do this, do that. You are just a giver. You're really kind like that because most people just be like, oh, well, sodder. But 
you obviously noticed that the engagement on my TikTok is very low. And I think you're, and, and it needs to be higher because yeah. what you're talking about is relevant to people. And I think yeah. the more people you can get that in front of, the yeah. more people are going to relate to it. And it's the so more important. people you're going to help by listening, yeah. where they're listening to it. And then when I've looked at your, your TikTok and yeah. I'm seeing that like the, the views and obviously certain key points are hashtags. Yeah. And, and especially with TikTok where you've got FYPs. And, yes, you, you were the one that said that. That's and, right. And, and for you page is what yeah. you're scrolling through. Yeah. So hashtagging for you page is scrolling. Yeah. It's getting people scrolling. Which I, I wonder, because I had some social media management, which I no longer have, but they were hashtagging things like sexual abuse and sexual assault. And I wonder if that's actually getting blocked sometimes, because I suppose... It does do, because there's key things. You can't say stuff yeah. about child and children yeah. and yeah. sex and stuff. So, so they I do think that's probably... Because I'm still doing that. And you just saying that now has made me think, I wonder, because I just carried on what the pattern of what they'd done. But obviously, it hadn't got much engagement on there. So I wonder if I need to change. So when you're doing your hashtags, are you looking at are you looking at how many billions or millions have got next to it? No. Look, if it's got too many, it won't get seen. Or if no, it's, it will. Oh, it will. If it's got too less, it won't yeah. get seen. So if you put therapist hashtag therapist yeah. for example, yeah, and on hashtag therapist, it's got two hundred and fifty million. Yeah. But then you'll put therapy yeah. above it hashtag therapy, and it's got five hundred and twenty-two billion. Yeah. Go with Click that the one. Because I do include those ones as well yeah. now. They weren't before, and I put those in. Still not doing much, though. But Give that... it time. It just takes that one time. day. Yeah. We had one video, thankfully, our daughter. It was um, in Little Madison. It, 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 I mean, our TikTok, we'd still, within within a couple of months of building that from uh, Boxing Day, we we got it up to about, I think it was like three and a half, four thousand followers. Yeah, see, I'm struggling with that. So, but then Carla had filmed, you tell, you tell, well, you, so Carla filmed a video with Madison, didn't you? Yeah. Go on then. Oh, and then it was the one about her. Have you watched it? I don't think it was one about her wanting my ring. She's so funny. Madison's just like, she's like a mixture of us together, isn't she? Oh my God, I bet she's amazing. She's so comical. She's only three, but she'd... Four? Yeah, she's four now, but at the time she was only three. And I think it had come about because my dad had passed away and all of my... So he had three rings and all of my brothers got a ring each. And she must have hurt heard a conversation about it you know it's like when you're talking amongst yourselves and then they take things in and a couple of days after that no it's a couple of weeks after that I was sat down she went to me mummy can I have your ring and I said what this one and she went yeah can I have your ring and I went well not really because that's my mummy's ring she went, can I have your ring when you die I and think then, I have yeah, seen that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And that went, it. it went viral. It went viral. It? It's on like four point five. Six point four million 6.4 views million. on that one oh, no, video. I it was 4.6. million. Oh my god! Just on that one video alone, and like, and instantly within four days, we had ten thousand followers just from that one video. So it's it goes to show that it's sometimes just that one, just one. Yeah, it must have one. been posted at the right time with the right hashtags, and it was funny. And also, the more shares that a video gets, the more yeah. it's put in front of people, which yeah. makes it get seen quicker. Yeah, and yeah. then within a, if it gets seen by loads of people in a short period of time, yeah, it then like just. Explodes. You just got to keep, and it's like with anything, that's probably been the one that's been hard for me. Facebook has always been fairly good. LinkedIn's been good. Instagram's been good. TikTok, which is the one you hear about the most now, is the one that I just couldn't crack the code of. I just don't think we can do it all as well. I think sometimes you find one that you're you're better with. Well, yeah. 
Well, I said to you earlier, way. I thought all the Instagram followers would come over to TikTok, but actually a lot of them are Instagram people. Instagram, They're not, because yeah. a lot of them don't are even my have age. TikTok. Well, this is what I was going to yeah. say, you yeah. know, I'm in the 40s, a lot of them don't even want to go on TikTok. Well, they don't give it a they chance. They don't give it a chance. And if they yeah. are on TikTok, it's to watch what the kids are doing yeah. rather than actually yeah. care about TikTok. So I think that's the, the, the age group that follow me are, I would say, predominantly mid, I don't want to say the word because it's making me cringe, middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a bit sick, but, <laughs> but that's the that truth. Well, I'm 41. I know that was that, middle age. Like, yeah. Well, I actually thought you were younger than that, so you could have got away with not yeah, revealing so your age. Yeah, I took my Botox the other day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he I've did. had a lot of work done. <laughs> yeah. But do you know Thanks, what? Tash. <laughs> yeah, shout her out. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be here all day if I was shouting out all the people that have worked on this bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the time. Well, yeah. they've done a good job. Thank you very much. I'm 67. <laughs> What was that when death becomes her? (laughs) Yeah, that's me. (laughs) That's what I'm going to look like when I'm about 106. I'll be patched together with plasters. (laughs) Held up with a turtleneck. Yeah. They'd be cheaper, wouldn't they? Use a few (laughs) band-aids. But, you know, if that that happens, you heard it here first, guys. (laughs) But you know what? I mean, we've had... I've had... A, a very wild ride today with you two like there was obviously I said to you before we started I don't want to know the story too much because I genuinely want to feel like I'm on the yeah. journey with the listeners and I don't think I spoke a lot because I think there was so much that you were saying that I was literally like I said I felt like I was watching a film Aww. but what I will say is you two are probably two of the most genuine honest open people I've ever met you've literally been so so open and so given so much you know especially with that story there and and what you've experienced together as a couple and all the pain and everything very rare to find people that will be that honest I mean luckily on this podcast people have shared real stories but yours is so dark in places but you've been Mm. so honest about something that is generally quite difficult for people to talk about and i know you didn't go into the details but like i said to you earlier uh, i think that doesn't matter i think the fact i'll save that for my book save it yeah save it for the money (laughs) (laughs) any publicists out there or any ghostwriters yeah please do get in touch you can find me at hello at project youth.co.uk we have spoken about that though haven't we like we have spoken about doing a book you definitely Um, should but it's again it's finding the time and you know there's so much to it with writing the books and stuff well as you know i did um, one and the things i didn't actually go into as much detail as what i probably would have done if i'd have done it now i made it more about self-help in the end because that's mm. my job right to help people yeah you could do another another i could do another i could do another one i could do another one and i probably will because i shied away from sharing which is funny because, you know, that's kind of what I do openly on things maybe like Instagram. Just the time. I don't think it was. Mm. I think I needed to get the first one done. You know, the first one is always the hardest. Yeah. And you learn from doing the first one. Yeah. And so I think, but what I'm saying to you is, I think everyone should write a book, especially you two. Like, Aww. there's so much there. And the... Can you imagine how many books you would release with all the work that you do? Right, let's go. Yeah, you have got something to do. Waterstones, where are you? (laughs) But it's like I think because there is so much to it. There is like there's so much more. 
Like I sit here for hours. I know, and I could as well. And we're actually going to have dinner tonight, so that we can. We're going to keep going for a few hours. Yeah, hopefully we won't be talking about such dark subjects. No, but you know, I think. (laughs) I was asked the question in London uh, a couple of days. I did a talk in London, and um, again, I was scouted for that talk, and you know, it was really, really big good beneficial talk yeah. and it was probably one of the most professional talk yeah. that I've done isn't it oh god yeah um, in front of some good top notch people PJ legend if he watches he's a really good lad and um, ex-military and I, he was so welcoming everybody that was there was welcoming and um, and one of the things one of the people asked me was do I it's about what would they say do, is there anything that I would yeah. say to my younger self if, if you could go back and change it uh, would you? and if and I if could there's... change it would you and, and I said no no and and I said the reason why is because I well we I always say I sometimes she tells me off. Um, well, your story is yours. We 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 have taken like a massive positive from a negative True. throughout a lot of the stuff that we've done. True. But if I would say anything to my younger self, nah. The thing is, what I try and do now is the young my younger self or the kids I work with. This is exactly what I was just about to say. Yeah. You're doing that with those kids yeah and you wouldn't be able to do that with those kids if you hadn't have had this experience no that's what you were put on this earth to do yeah is to heal others and you I'm had to noah from noah's art you are i'm leading them kids on when i bike. saw you in the street that's exactly what yeah. I, I, thought you, I, I thought you meant you're a noah because you know it all now but the thing is it. though i don't know it all because i i'm even this is another thing i say like even i say to young people even 41 i'm still learning yeah. There's still things that I'm learning. Like you could say Stop something to me today that I the floor. That's what? <laughs> Don't even sk- listen to that. <laughs> I said like picking them skidders up off the floor. What skidders are these? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Should we start talking about no. it? All right, let's no, that's not. Not <laughs> Don't start exposing it. But, yeah, it's like, you know, like a young person can say something that I've not even known about, and like, I've just, just learned from him or her. Yes. You know? well, this is, so and you'll never not learn. No, you know, always every meet. day is a learning curve, you, you know. And, and, the, and still the fact is you could go in and do a workshop, and then you've still got to work out what worked and what didn't, you know. Yeah. Again, yeah, you you're will. learning, you know. Yeah. So there's so many different elements to it. And... And and this is the thing that like it's that's why I'm grateful and thankful for everybody that's been on the journey with us because there's been so many people that's come along the way and we have so many good friends um, that we can call friends as well that yes. are genuine really genuine yeah. friends of ours um, and you know obviously yourself has come along now obviously yeah. and you know we've got there's there's a reason why these things happen and yeah. why you meet so many people. and people fall in love with you and I'm talking about myself as well like. Uh, the first time that we connected it was through voice notes. Yeah. And I was literally sitting We were on the down. way back from an event you then. You were. You were. And, and I was listening. And I was literally <laughs> laughing out loud. Oh. I was saying to myself, oh, my God, I love these two. Oh. <laughs> I think I even told you straight yeah. away. Like, within about 30 seconds, I, my heart had just gone, boom, connected. Right, that's it. I need to know these people forever. And that's the effect that you have on people. You know, you just have this real magnetic force. So you have got good friends. It's because people want to be with good people. 
and you are good people. That's how we feel about you. Oh. <laughs> I think as well, we've been, and we wish we don't know with Danielle when yeah, we were talking yeah. with Danielle. She's Danielle a good Mason. friend of ours as well, she and is. you know, and this is how this has come about as yeah. well through, through her be coming on here and yeah. Um, so we we do have I've got another good mate Terry Donnage. He's another good power mine, yeah. and I don't know if you know who Terry, Terry is, but I love he's, it when you meet nice people. Yeah, so not like good. you know, and I did have other good. I've had other good friends, and you know, sometimes people come and go along your journey, they and do. you know, this these things happen. And I've never known animosity with people. I can't be honest. The right ones you know, always stay, though. You know, they do. It's, it's it's just one of them. You know, people come, people go, and you know, and it's still whatever happens, and whoever comes and whoever goes, it still doesn't stop the journey. It like, doesn't, and it doesn't stop. I mean, the <clears throat> people that don't hang around. Um, for various different reasons it may not be something you've done wrong by the way it might be because they move away and people move on and you I've had friends that I love dearly that I haven't seen for 20 years because they moved to another part of the world yeah. and you do just lose contact because life moves at such a pace yeah. doesn't mean you don't love them and it doesn't mean that you didn't have a profound effect on them and vice versa and that you became a better person because of them and that in that way we've got lots of little soulmates and even for you doing the work that you're doing now you know, you'll work with a kid for six months, maybe, you know, even 12 months sometimes. And then, and this happens to me all the time, because I've done this job for 20 years, 20 years later, someone will send you a message or see you on, on, on social media and they'll go, oh my God, do you remember me? It wasn't wow. for you, did a little, and I always say, no, if it wasn't for you. But then the, the thing is, is that you've had an effect on someone yeah. that, and they've had an effect on you. And isn't that what it's all about? Just it's it's those it's, again. It's those moments that can be not always life changing, but profound or, or funny or just do something to you that changes the course of events. Yeah, and that's what you do. And we enjoy it. We enjoy everything we do. And there's nothing to we're, we're not even in this for, to for gain of, no. of, of any. This is just something we enjoy. Yeah. We found that thing in life. Yeah. You know, when you just find that yeah. purpose. Yes, you just feel I like, do. And it just feels nice. We enjoy yeah. it. We enjoy making people happy. Yeah. We enjoy being happy of other people being happy. Yeah. And, like, and, we, and we get to we, we get to run a youth project. We get to go on numerous television shows. Which we, so cool. and, and, and all this stuff, like, obviously don't people get interested this doesn't even involve any cost you no. know like we, there's no money that's made from either we're doing this because we want to but you know what i said it's... to you earlier off camera and i mean it as soon as i get the time i'm going to share with you how you can actually for, because i believe that you know good people deserve good rewards and that's not just mm. the way it fills your heart i mean like you say you've been doing this and slogging it out and there is no money in it but there are ways that i can help lots of different people not just yeah. you but i mean you directly today start to look at how you can make money not from the charity not from you know the kids themselves but just as people that deserve to have the life that you give so much you deserve to have the best oh, life ever and there's nothing wrong with that people think it's really embarrassing or vulgar or wrong to want money but actually when you've come from nothing money allows you to remarket your business in a way that does. more people get access, yeah. you know, Definitely. to widen that net of, of mm -hmm. people like you, to train people like you, to see, you might see, let's say, I don't know, little Jimmy, who's got a lot of problems in a school, 
five years later, he could be one of your coaches going out working for you. You know, Mm. you continue this cycle and money creates the ability to do that, by the way. And it does. And and I've always said as well, like you can see that, and I I know a few of these people, they've, they've got all the money in the world, but they're so unhappy. Yes. And the thing is, we've not got all the money in the world and we're happy. Yeah. So when we do manage to be able to be comfortable, we've got money and we've got happiness. You've done so it the right way around. We've done it the other way. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's what Finally. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the kind of life that I want to have. And yeah. I want to be able to, my kids to be comfortable and, yes. you know, we, us to be able to not wake up every morning worrying about what we're going to do with this or what we're going to do yeah. with that. Because it's just life. It's like just everybody life. in the country right now is worrying with that. Yeah, so true. Um, and, you know, and we're just still plodding along and you know, doing it's gonna what we change do. That you, not again, not necessarily through the charity and not necessarily through the kids themselves, but there will be a way that you will make a significant amount of money that will actually add to the generational growth of your own children. Mm-hmm. And then not only will you be doing the work that you're doing already, but you'll actually be able to change, um, I think, DNA molecules. In other words, we talk about gen- generational trauma earlier and the sort of genetic response that that has in the dna and the bodies and how we hand down traumas and you know they did loads of studies on this where people have had heightened anxiety or stress because their grandparents had heightened you know it gets handed down yeah when you start to change the patterns not only of the behavior but then you're able to provide opportunities for your own children for other people's children changing cycles changing narratives you do need uh, to understand that, that money does buy that ability. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to make a widespread change without financial income, but then you change the stories for future generations of your own, of your own DNA too. And I, I think people are embarrassed to talk about money because it, it's always, especially in British culture, being seen as. But yeah, like you, you can do that, and I think you should be comfortable. Uh, looking at that as a as an option of yeah of definitely doing that because it, it, you've done the hard graft now and and you can you'll continue to do that I know so I know that by the end of this everybody's going to be either exhausted because the emotional roller coaster has happened but they're also <laughs> going to be inspired and motivated and grateful that they came across you both because I know I am and like I said, I fell in love straight away within about 20 seconds of this voice note. So I know the impact that you're going to have on people. Yeah. And thank you both for being brave. I know you've spoken about things before, but it still takes a lot of bravery to talk about this stuff. It's not easy. And I know it was emotional at times for both of you, for being brave, for being honest, for being open and for doing the work that you do. Because I think it's such an important thing that you're doing. And I'm thank really, you. really appreciative of it. Oh, we thank appreciate you. Coming on. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. And thanks for coming all the way from, well, uh, Hastings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, East Sussex, yeah. These, these people are, are warriors. Warriors. Coming are, through the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And I can't wait for dinner. Oh, thanks.